If you're looking for the best horror, thriller, sci-fi and WTF audio fiction this side of the apocalypse, then you should listen to The Other Stories. With over 500 stories on the podcast feed already and news stories dropping every single Monday morning, The Other Stories is your new best friend. Check out The Other Stories today on any and all podcast platforms or head to theotherstories.net. After all, these aren't the stories your mother used to tell you. These are The Other Stories. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to The Horror Hangout, a podcast where film fans watch the best and worst horror movies of all time and talk about them. My name is Andy Conduit-Turner, and this week, no Ben, he's off on his holidays, but I am joined by a very special guest, former guest, friend of the show, I hope we can say that, Edward Harvey, aka Harvey Retro, host of the Enigmatic Retro Rewind on YouTube and the co-host of the Trash Tapes Bad Movie Podcast. Welcome, Ed. Nice to see you again. Thank you. It's great to be back. So, just the two of us. I know. It's like, am I, am I a guest or am I co-host here? I mean, you want to upgrade it. Ben's not here to stop anyone. The cat's away, Ed. So, official co-host this week. <laughs> right. I'm going to make some changes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> thank you very much for uh, coming to join us in Ben's absence this week. Hopefully he has a lovely holiday, maybe, when he's listening to this. A little different experience because Ben's definitely been on the most episodes out of all of us. Um, yeah. He started it long before I ever started sticking my oar in. Yeah, not seen old Mr. Condor lately. I know, he's been very busy recording an entire audiobook and doing lots of other writing work, but he shall return. Wow. He keeps us updated on the films he's been enjoying. I was just thinking the other day, I might tempt him back later this year with a screening of the remake of, canonically, Luke Condor's favourite horror movie ever, Cat People. I might talk about doing oh. the 80s remake of that. And maybe that'll, that'll tempt him back. That'll be like the, the dreamies for cats. Yeah. <laughs> Shake that little bag and it'll I've... come crashing through the podcasting wall. I would like to see the 80s remake. I've only seen the original. I've seen yeah. clips of the 80s remake. Um, and apparently it's one of our other, one of another previous guest, Emily Booth said it was her favourite horror movie of all time. She enjoys the transformations. So going to have to... Mm. Um, really get on with that one um pretty soon but we're here today i think we've got a film that is very much in in your wheelhouse well one wheelhouse or the other some would say it's a bad movie maybe not everyone 
but certainly this is your retro you know your retro world right of 80s oh yeah VHS 80s, 80s horror that belongs on vhs yes definitely and it's it is i it is a bad movie in my opinion but it's a it's a there's a lot to love about it yeah. I've been think. really thinking about ratings recently uh, and the the stars I put to them. And I, I've come to realise that when I give stars to a movie on reviews, I'm not necessarily reviewing how good a movie is. I'm reviewing how much I enjoy it. Because there are films that are excellent who, I, who I've watched and I can say, that is a brilliantly made film that I'm never, yeah. ever going to watch again because I've seen it now and it wasn't such a thing for me that I'm ever going to want to watch it again. Yet there are films that are legitimately two star and below movies that I would watch time and time again and have a blast watching them every time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I will definitely go on entertainment value when I'm reviewing films. Yeah. It's got to be done that way. Well, obviously, having the trash tapes, you've got to go with that way anyway. Yeah. Podcasts, I, we do. I, I kind of like the rating system that you do, you know, when you're specifically reviewing what are objectively thought of as bad movies you know, the whole not trashy enough to fit the the remit of your podcast right through to too trashy with, oh, no, this is just unenjoyable dross. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the, the trash tapes has been, for, unfortunately, the trash tape has kind of ended now. But it's a shame that we're not kind of continuing that. But it's kind of, we're going to transform it into another podcast where we're doing cult films. So it's kind of like changing rather than it being kind of going, if you know what I mean. So, And you've been... Um... You know, I'm glad that it's carrying on in some format, although I guess giving mm. a little bit more scope to things. But you guys have been working on some more screenings at the Derby Quad recently as well, right? Was it Pink Flamingo you did most recently? We've done, yeah, that's the Cult Film Club. So at Derby Quad Cinema, um, Johan hosts uh, cult movie screenings. We've done two now. And I film his intro and I edit the video that we do and we do but we both have a discussion about the film afterwards and that goes up on the youtube channel um and it's it's going quite well that is so far um it's yeah we've had some interesting ones the first one was pink flamingos which is one of the most offensive movies of all time it's like not often you can screen that movie it has to be a special occasion and it was like the 50th anniversary or something and it ran about that time uh but it's a very iconic uh movie and did a lot for like um the gay community and transgender and stuff like that because it's quite it's pr very pro in that department for 1972 but it is awful in terms of what goes on in that movie it's 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 this horrible stuff uh and i couldn't watch some of the stuff like there's animal cruelty in it and, uh, oh, okay. and there's like is real gross a lot of gross stuff it's not for the faint-hearted but it's also very funny as well so so did you like uh, you know take the list of all of your attendees that you have and then just hand that list straight over to the police so they can keep an eye on those people after say so here you go watch these ones in the yeah. local community well one of the gimmicks of that screening was uh we had branded vomit bags that we handed <laughs> out no one used them but like it was a funny it had cult film club on a vomit bag Oh, that's great. You can keep your popcorn of... in there to take it home, little leftovers. That's a nice time. Oh, yeah. It's a shame I live several hundred miles further away from you guys than I used to, but um, maybe once you've evolved and have a whole film festival, we'll make a trip down. Yeah, that'd be great.
<laughs> in the meantime, though, before we get into the business of the particular cult film of the week, I've got a tiny bit of horror news in Ben's absence that I'll knock out there. Um, one of them, a little discussion point for you, and being someone who organises and has a role in doing film screenings at a cinema, maybe you've got some strong feelings on this. So in the run-up to the release of his new thriller, Knock at the Cabin, and off the back of the probable, probably pandemic-driven box office underperformance of old, brackets the beach that makes you get old, M. Night Shyamalan's mm. been on. Um, talking about Knock at the Cabin, saying that this is a film not designed to be watched on your tablet. It's designed to be watched at a cinema and enjoyed in the company of other film goers. Um, and we've okay. seen a lot about this recently. James Cameron's been on about you know the new Avatar, saying it's a big cinema experience. Your movie of last year, I understand, Top Gun Maverick as well. Tom Cruise is a big proponent of the yeah. cinema experience. Um I don't know, and I think there was there was someone else who've now forgotten saying, "Oh, hey, the the best way to watch this movie is on the biggest screen possible." And I would say, as a content creator, I would say, "Yeah, the the best way to enjoy any of media, I podcast listeners now, the best way to enjoy this podcast is on as expensive and high definition equipment and the comfiest chair you can possibly muster." Um, but where do you stand on the the viewing experience that a film is intended for? Um. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the, another one you missed off that list was, I think, Dune, the latest Dune movie. Dune. It's a massive land... It's a, it's a cinemascope movie, you know. It's like it, you need to see that on a big, wide screen for it to be uh, epic. Another one was also... I watched... When I watched The Batman mm -hmm. in the cinema, it was such a great experience that it made, it made me fall in love with Batman again. I was devouring every Batman content I could get my hands on after seeing that film just because of the cinema experience. Because when I watched it on Blu-ray, I've got it on Blu-ray now, I watched it. It was great. It was great. I was enjoying it, but it is so different watching it on the small screen, that movie. And, and it, I, I, yeah, I'm a firm believer that there are films that kind of like, it can be the difference between a movie being like, excellent and a movie only being good like when watching it in the cinema and watching it on, on the screen even if you've got a big tv and the surround sound system is because i have got a, a decent setup for watching films but even then watching the batman wasn't as great i, I, I you know as as the cinema, cinema experience. experience and what do you do you think it's a combination of everything or is it the x factor of you don't have the distraction of your phone, which, let's be honest, this can be hard to ignore when you're at the in your own house where you might mm. like look at it. Is it the the equipment, or is it the the rest of an audience that that you think gives it that impact? It's for me, it's a combination of uh, yeah, the, the the audience reactions, people around you, being with people um that will appreciate especially your friends and stuff being around and that you're seeing their reactions but i'm a big fan of like sound i'm a big sound guy i love sound so dolby like atmos for example is like the best thing to me i love to feel and every so you never i mean unless you, I've, I've never had a setup like that in my house so sound wise it's absolutely stunning when you get all that like really big sounds you know that that is cinema to me the sounds yeah, that's true. I think when it comes to the audience part, I think that's maybe what some of the problems with cinema is now. I think 
maybe it's a post-COVID thing. Maybe it's just a kids today shake fist thing that like, I think it's a real roll of the dice what audience you're going to get at the cinema that can either be a huge boon, mm. especially I'd say the, the two big genres for um, audiences really adding to a movie is horror and then act, um, and then comedy as well. Like I've seen comedy mm. movies going back a ways now. I remember the first time we saw the South Park movie, Bigger, Longer and Cut. I was a teenager at the time. Mm. And I think I had it with an audience of probably people that were around my age, sort of like 15. And people were like rolling about, like laughing. They found it incredibly funny. And that and that was a memory that I came out with from the cinema. The same, like some more recent, even yeah. more recent horror stuff, like Midsummer a few years ago, post-COVID, like the Black Phone. I had a good cinema audience and their reactions really heightened the movie. But I know mm. there's the other side of that, where if you get a distracting cinema audience it can it can perhaps color your opinion of the film because you'll have had like an annoying time being there i've been quite lucky yeah. with cinema audiences here for uh, don't too often get a bad one i think the last one in living memory was life of pi on boxing day my wife bollocked some kids um but like <laughs> um, <laughs> i sat very quietly um but yeah that can it can take it either way right are you usually pretty lucky with audiences at your cinema um yeah because i often go in on weekdays certain weekdays where there's not an offer on you know not like an orange wednesday type of thing or like that kind <laughs> we're of, thing. of the I... same generation at orange wednesday is what it's always called <laughs> whatever it's rebadged as now it's orange wednesday <laughs> like... forever like opal fruits and pj and duncan is it like the, the meerkat name? thing now yeah the meerkat thing is it yeah that's it right well, that kind of thing. I, I I don't go on a day like that. And also, I tend to go... I don't go immediately when the movies just come out, if I can help it. Um, but in general, cinemas aren't packed anymore. Mm-hmm. They're not like packed like they used to be. So even if you go to a movie on release day sometimes, if you pick the right showing, it won't be fully booked up. And, you you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get lucky, I think, a lot of the time, and it'll be quite quiet and... You won't get disturbed. I think the the busiest film I've been to see recently, um, Black Phone was reasonably busy. I went, I think I went on the first day, um, mm. and it was it was on a smaller screen at the cinema, so that was quite busy. But I think the busiest film I've seen within living memory was Sonic Two, because I went like on the day yeah. and the weekend, and then it wasn't annoying mm. because it was like it was quite delightful, like kids enjoying this movie with their parents. It was it was a good spirited time. So maybe I'm yeah. Maybe I agree with uh, Mr. Knight, um, and he's uh, and he's mm. got and he's got a point there. I think certain films do belong at the cinema, but you know, mm. in this economy, you have to make those choices. I guess increasingly so of which ones you choose to see there and which ones you do have to kind of, you know, take a punt and just wait until it's on one of the infinite streaming streaming services quicker and quicker as well, right? Like time of recording. Black Panther, that was the one of the largest films at the end of last year, is out in less than a week yeah. on Disney Plus. Yeah, I'm often tempted with you know, like Odin has like limitless, so yeah. you can like you pay you pay like one fee for the year, and then you can go literally. It doesn't matter if you, if you go and see a bad film, man. Because I used you know, to do that. I used to when I was yeah. within when I was within walking range of a Cineworld back in the old days. Mm. I used to have a Cineworld Unlimited card, and for the exact same reason, you could walk into something, mm. and I think if you'd paid. 
the price of a cinema ticket to go, you'd be a, maybe be a bit pissed off and be mm. maybe that wasn't right. But with between this the the secret screenings they had where you would see a film early and people would always yeah. speculate, oh, it's going to be the new Star Wars. It's never going to be the new Star Wars, lads. Don't worry. It's <laughs> always going to be something that they're doing to promote it and get more people to see. Um, but like. Um, yeah, I, I would go and see things on a whim and I would quite often be like, oh, what's this quiet evening or, you know, wife's got plans or something to, or she's got some studying or she just wants a bit of quiet time. I'd walk down the street to the cinema and I would look at the cinema times and be like, oh, this film's starting now. I can just leave the house and I can just, you know, just go down there. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of like the the limitless if, you, if you're near a chain that runs one. It helps you take mm. more chances. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, um, tell you what, we've had a lot of a lot of franchise revivals in the last couple of years. Um, we mm. know we're getting a Friday the Thirteenth series, a prequel series about little baby Jason going to mm. camp, whatever's going to happen. Um, but Sean Cunningham, the director of the original, is uh, apparently working on three projects with a number of writers. One of them with revitalised interest, and I imagine, implied by that, the legal difficulties are beginning to be cleared up. We may be seeing them work on a new Friday the 13th movie, which has been has been pegged as a remake right now. What are your, what's your relationship okay. with the series? What, is this exciting news to you, or do you um, like what they are? Right. This is going to be interesting, right, because you'd think that Friday the 13th will be my wheelhouse, uh, I don't like the series at all. I like the bad ones. Like I like um, part three, the cheesy 3D one, because I like the it's funny one of my 3D ones. elements. I like the bit with the yo-yo and where I... he, like bashes her in the face. Because, <laughs> oh, that almost got me. <laughs> like a lot of forced 3D elements. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I like Jason X as well. Jason X is... Um... I think you and Ben were talking about it recently, and it's got talking that weird last team. couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, it's it's got that weird TV look, hasn't it? That, that I think it gives it a great aesthetic. Yeah, it is lit like um, an episode of Stargate SG One. But my um my favorite Friday the Thirteenth film is the remake. Yeah, the remake from when was that? That was like 2013, twenty thirteen, something like that. Yeah. No, two thousand nine, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I thought was great. I wanted to see a continuation of that, really. It kind of just it was it was kind of its own thing for a bit, um, and I thought it was going to revitalize the franchise in that way and kind of go serious again. Uh, but nothing happened with it. Really, yeah, was that when the legal things kicked off and they just couldn't move with it for a long time? I wonder. Mm. I need to relook at the history. Maybe there's. I know there's some documentaries like. Um, Crystal Lake memories and so on. Maybe that'll have the the details of what those what those troubles were. It's been a long time since mm. I saw the remake. Can you remind me? Does it is it just the first two that it encapsulates, or does it do one to four basically? That the Jason story. Um, it's from memory. I haven't seen it for a few years, but I think it's it's basically like a remake of of one and two, but obviously. The third one was the one where he got his hockey mask. And so yeah. they kind of just 
they just make it so that he gets his hockey mask in like what's part two kind of thing. And instead, yeah. it's like they kind of like combine those. They don't use any elements from three apart from the hockey mask. Yeah. <laughs> Retrieval of the hockey mask. So it's mainly one and two. And there's no yeah. Corey Feldman as a little um, disguise boy who can make himself into a Jason with makeup. No, uh, uh, apparently part four is the best one. That's the one I, ha- I haven't seen part four. So oh, you should, people really... you should watch it. That's the one. Sorry, I've just yeah. spoiled it for you. Corey Feldman, like, <laughs> is is the hero of the piece. Um, yeah, I do yes. like Corey Feldman. And I've I've seen many clips from that. Uh, so, yeah. Maybe you've just roped yourself is that the in one with the, we uh... get to it, We'll have to get you in to come and watch it for the first time. Is that That's the one with the Crispin Glover dance, isn't it? I think is that part so. Four? I can't like yeah. those old ones. It's really hard to one to four. Obviously, yeah. number one's Blue easy to one. separate because it's Mrs. It's Mrs. Voorhees, but mm. two to four in particular are. It is one story effectively. You could watch them back to back, and it's one thing. Whereas mm. then, once you get beyond that, there is imposter, then resurrection. It's from six where he's like kind of a zombie now. Um, yeah. And then it's Jason versus Carrie. Then it's Jason takes Manhattan. Then it's Jason goes to hell and there's bum worms that turn you into a Jason. And then yeah. there is space Jason, space and, um, <laughs> and then versus Freddy and then reboots. But yeah, it's, it's a fascinating franchise. Probably the opposite of what we see with, and I go on about this all the time, the continuity that you've got with a series like Chucky, which has maintained Domencini as like the he, he's had a hand in every single one of them, so that continuity has been easy to take a ha- keep a handle on. Whereas mm. Friday the Thirteenth has changed hands and owners so many times that it's it'd be very difficult to wrap these into one of them. I guess you could always fit Jason X in as long as you never definitively kill him any time before the distant future. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's just not a series that I've uh, been a huge fan of. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, more to come though. It's coming back. And the last piece mm. of horror news I have this week is Infinity Pool. Um, so Brendan Cronenberg's latest movie. Um, it's had its premiere in the last week. It's now been seen by a lot of people. Mm. Reviews coming in very strong. Lots of people blown away by it already. Um. At time of recording, I believe we are still waiting for a release date in the UK, which I hope comes mm. very soon. I know the news of last year, probably headlines of the most of the year, were how we got stitched up quite a lot for for release dates. Like it was, again, um, going into your wheelhouse, Ed, in the retro days where things come out months earlier in the US and it's like someone in the playground whose uh, dad works at Nintendo or something similar as like, Oh, he got it from America when he came over. Feels like we've been living in that world again very much last year. Hellraiser was much later. Um, yeah. So yeah, we waited for a lot of stuff last year. I've still not seen the new Hellraiser, and I've still not seen Pearl either, because Pearl hasn't had a UK cinema release anyway at all. No. Um, so it's frustrating, because I loved X, and I'm looking forward to seeing Pearl, and I heard so many good things about it. Mia Goth's amazing in Pearl. Like, yeah, Mia Goth does a thing. I was lucky enough for a US trip last year, so <laughs> while, yeah. it was, while it was there. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting companion to it. I shan't spoil it for you. Um, but I'm also <laughs> looking forward to Maxine. 
yeah. um, you know, yeah. to sort of round out that trip, that trilogy, whether it's how it's going to work, it's going to be really interesting. I think Ty West is doing some really cool stuff with it. But yeah, hopefully we will get a release date of Infinity Pool soon because mm. I don't like this whole idea that the UK seems to have taken a backward step in getting their distribution sorted um, mm. and getting these things out, especially with horror movies, things that come out throughout the year, there's enough content to keep us busy. And as long as you can avoid spoilers, then it's fine. But I do find it difficult when we're, you know, you're around particular seasons, right? Like Hellraiser was a prime example, something that was due to come out like it's like the couple of weeks before Halloween or something like that. You know, this the season when you would imagine you would be as a horror film distributor, really inclined to try and get it out. Whereas I think it actually came out much, like certainly after Halloween, I think it was November time that we actually dropped here. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of, remember the movie Hook? That yeah. was like, I was like, I found, I watched that recently and I found out that it was a Christmas movie because it was set at Christmas, but that's because it came out in America before Christmas. And over here, it came out in like spring or something the next year. It was so weird. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, we've we've kind of lost that idea. It's an Easter movie now. <laughs> you just put CGI some bunnies in. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's all I had for horror news this week. But um, I do have a couple of things that I've watched. I've been really blitzing through content recently, but I'll pause for you first, Ed. I mean, hasn't got to be the last week for you. It's been a while since you last joined us, so... Anything of note in the horror world that you really that you've really dug recently? Um, well, I watched. I was listening to your podcast about Megan, uh, and I watched Megan recently. I was really pleasantly surprised by Megan. Um, I think it's the funniest, like the best sort of like horror comedy I'd seen since. I think Barbarian was another one I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was worried that it was going to be too similar to the Child's Play. 2019 remake because yeah, that's the... basically an AI an AI doll yeah. scenario uh, but they did some more interesting things with the AI doll scenario and it was it was clever they had the cautionary tale aspect of what what how dangerous the AI can be but it was more leaning towards a satirical angle and like like it reminded me the, the satire and it reminded me of like Robocop because it had like fake yeah. adverts in it and stuff like that and I, I thought that was really well executed and it had a perfect balance of horror and comedy. Although it's it was shot to be like an 18 sort of R-rated movie, but they, they cut a lot of it out. Uh, so we will hopefully get a, an unrated cut or something like That's that. That's what I've heard. And I think yeah. it's, it's seldom that I, that I make the time to go back and watch an unrated one because content is infinite time is not and i all like quite often think oh it's too late now i've moved on but actually megan is one of those i think i will go back and watch the unrated cut yeah i mean i'm like a big fan of like getting like the nice physical media like steel book or something like that which mm-hmm. has got the, all the additions and stuff like that so i'll probably buy megan in a nice version of it and it might have that good cut you know yeah but... i like i like doing that i've decided with my now that shelf space has become an issue i do think i have to be choiceful of what i get because then i think i've reached the point with storage that every time i get something new something else has to be like relegated to like a box or a you know the attic or something like that but i think i think megan might be worth uh 
might be worth uh, demoting something for because I think yeah, mm. if I get the chance to see some extra bits on it, I think that's a film I would revisit. How about anything yeah. else you've been uh, checking out recently? Uh, well, I recently bought um, the Blu-ray of Smile and I absolutely loved Smile. I thought it was... It, the reason why I really liked it was it was because I'm a big fan of the curse movie genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the, like the Japanese, I like the like the Asian curse horror movies, like and stuff like that. And it made me feel like how I first felt when I watched The Ring. Like when I first watched The Ring, and I was watching it on a little uh, bedroom TV, like the TVs in the movie. And it, all the lights off, and it was it scared the living daylights out of me. And when I watched uh smile it made me like scared of like cursed movies again because i i've kind of when i whenever i watch ring now for example has no effect on me the the whole movie builds to one scare pretty much uh, and it's, it doesn't really even though i appreciate the movie it doesn't frighten me at all anymore but this was like sort of taking that idea taking a curse it, it, you know a, a thing that's been done loads of times but it made that genre, that subgenre, like really fresh again. And I, I liked the mystique of it as well. I like that you didn't know a lot what was going on in terms of what the creature was. Um, I, I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. That's I thought good. it had some amazing tension. Yeah, that's good. I, I think we were talking before we recorded. I think for me, my experience of Smile suffered from the trailer for such strong marketing, mm. and then for the trailer to give away some of the the coolest bits of the movie but you were lucky that you went in pretty much blind right yeah 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 I, I literally went to see it because um it was one of those where randomly i had no interest in it so i wasn't even checking out the trailers and then i heard all this like buzz was going on about it people were saying like, it was making loads of money like loads of people were going to see it and i was like well, I want to see what all the fuss is about. I get cut up in hype trains, you see. Yeah, you're like, come on, <laughs> come on. No, that's good. No, it's good to be excited. Like, I think yeah. there's, yeah, I, I am almost disappointed in myself when I'm like cynical about stuff and it's like, oh, is this going to be like this? Like, it's nice to be excited and uh, to have some genuine thrills going into this, in, into things. So yeah, I'm glad, glad enjoyed mm. uh, Smile. I think, a bit like Megan, actually, I suspect not only it's box office, but I will say about it, there's a good bit of mystique there and some mystery. We may see more of that to come in the future as well, right? Because I think it's a theme that you could explore a lot more of. So I think it's certainly been successful. Oh, enough where we see a follow-up to it quite likely, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. What would, you, what would you call Smile 2, though? Just Smile 2 or Smile something? Smile, uh, smile... Turn that frown upside down. Just, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm old school. I want to see like a massive two behind Smile. Oh, the S in Smile turns around and it becomes (laughs) two mile. I love all that stuff. Oh, brilliant. I think they're the most, the things that have stood out lately for me, those two things. And we're we're in I've I've seen some other bits, but like, if you, I mean, if you're not, if you're not, if it's, I've seen some like um, non-horror bits, but I suppose we'll just stick to horror. Yeah, like we'll stick to the horror thing. I'll we'll keep us here all night. I'm going to rattle through a few that I've seen. I'm still on a real training marathon blitz to get through um, some content that's been left behind and to try and cut down what has become an almost unmanageable watch list. So I'm going to rattle through mm. a few of these quick. Let me know if you've seen any of them. 
but this is what I've consumed since the last week um, that Ben and I met. So I've done 1995's Castle Freak. Um, it's on Shudder. You could watch that today. It is a Stuart Gordon movie. It has some absolute horror royalty in it. So it's got John Riley of Reanimator and it's got, um, sorry, Jeffrey Coombs. That's John Riley's character name. Shouldn't read, mm. Should just remember. And Barbara Crampton is in it as well. So absolute horror royalty. An American guy inherits a, a castle. So you'll never guess what, there's a freak in it. Freak has oh, been wow. locked up have... by the previous owners. I have seen it, I think, but I can't really remember it. It was briefly when I had a Shudder subscription. Uh, I watched it then, but I, yeah, I just remember that it had the uh, the two iconic actors in it. But like, yeah, I, I've I can't remember much about it. Two iconic horror actors, um, hmm. uh, horrible monster man that like eats cats and a lady's boobs in in the <laughs> yeah. in in the castle. Big shallow energy, not just because it's set in Italy. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a good fun schlocky movie. And then I watched 2021's In the Earth. I actually had deliberately paused on watching this one. It's a Ben Wheatley film, um, mm. British production set outside Bristol where there's been a pandemic which has like crippled the nation, which was why when we were still in COVID years, I was like, I'm going to wait on this one before I watch it. Um, it's got like um, pseudo supernatural, very psychedelic things um, in there. Um, that, are, mm. that are happening. Um, oh, I need to pull up the because the I'm now I'm now going to blank on it. But absolutely manic performance by uh, Reese Shearsmith in it as well. Terrifying oh, in a very yeah, calm great. way. Um, yeah, some crazy performances. Very kind of folk horror energy, but mm. not so much that the mysticism is it gives you a scientific out for it as well. Um, good pairing with the new Last of Us series. Mushrooms are bad, everybody. Um, yeah. Be, be very careful out there. So that was that. I'm working my way slowly through um, the Cabinet of Curiosities from GDT himself. I watched the second one of those. So Graveyard Rats, a nice period piece mm. that becomes Monsters Underground, which is interesting to watch. Sticking with monsters, I watched 1988's Night of the Demons. That feels like that might be in your wheelhouse, Ed, if you haven't already seen it. I haven't seen that one. Oh. I've I've watched all of Cabinet of Curiosities though, and I think with that one, you'll you'll start really like getting into it later on. Some of the later episodes okay. are fantastic. I've really en I've enjoyed I, the two I've watched so far. Yeah, no, it's all pretty strong, but there's one about like um, body lotion. I've heard That's, this one's that yeah. someone at my at my team at work was like, you've got to watch that one. That one's horrible. Yeah, it's like a beauty cream kind of thing. That that one is really good. It reminded me of um, Requiem for a Dream, a little bit okay. like that, that kind of vibe. Yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, they're nice and digestible at the length they are. So I'm just, I'm picking up one of those mm. every so often and I've got, oh, I've just got an hour. Just hop on this real quick. Um, I think you would enjoy Night of the Demons, um, a good yeah. pairing with like an Evil Dead or something like that, a little bit tonally more tongue-in-cheek, but it doesn't have the slapstick that Bruce Campbell brings to it. Um, mm. Basically, lovely party, some teenagers getting together. It's the late 80s. The stereotypes between the teenagers are 
dialed up to 11 as stereotypical mm. as you could as you can find there's like a goth girl and then there's like a sexy girl and there's like a jock guy and then there's like a loser guy and there's like the one that's like a bloody a bad boy who's like crashed the party they're all these stereotypes um and then they think well they're having this little get together in this house should we do a seance watch out demons um and then you know people variously get in possessed and some great gore effects in there just just a good laugh in this uh in, in this movie really straightforward um does exactly what it says in the tin pairs nicely with um with evil dead though you might enjoy that i watched yeah, the forever purge finishing off the latest in that series which i felt had kind of ended in a satisfying way with the last number um mm. it's fine it's more of the purge um have, have you interacted with that series much uh, yeah, I think I've seen I've seen most of them. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I, I've def I've seen the Forever Purge, seen the first one. I think there might have been some in the middle I've I've missed, but I've I've seen a lot of them. Um, and I, I do like them. I do like them as a series. Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting an interesting concept. I think sometimes the the subtleties of the of the background messages. Then again argue that subtle messages would be lost on a lot of people they they hit you with a sledgehammer on these things the allegories mm. are you know they're not hidden at all it's what they're they're talking about you know current political climates and current culture wars that we experience today except the violence is dialed up to 11 and people wear fun masks like it appears yeah. that like 99 of preparing for purge night is getting your theme just right more effort goes into those costumes than carnival yeah i thought the first movie was a clever movie because it was very simple and it's a lot of the movies set takes place in pretty much one house mm -hmm. and i always found that's like really clever when a movie can hold your attention in one location for that amount of time yeah and the others yeah, are all really great. spin out into like everything else is like action horror i would say whereas the mm. first one does have like the claustrophobia home invasion element to it yeah yeah definitely yeah. so more of that if you like the purge you will no doubt enjoy uh the forever purge watched alligator also on shudder 1980 horror movie um about mm. alligator that gets buddy flushed down the toilet and then years later um is getting amongst it uh trigger warning <laughs> for anyone who hasn't watched it lots of dogs uh eaten and fed to alligators or sent to vivisection labs in this one so oh, no. animal cruelty turns <laughs> you off you're probably not going to make it past the first 10 minutes but it does have robert foster in it um as 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 our lead balding detective um oh he's great he's balding in the story i'm not just commenting on a man's appearance he's very <laughs> sensitive about losing his hair um but it's all right you know it's kind of yeah sewer jaws Mm. Um, cool. So did that. I did Alien Abduction Incident, Incident at Lake County, which is a remake of the McPherson tape, one of the earliest records of a found footage movie. I told Ben I was going to watch it last week, and I and I did, and it was the thing that I saw on the Sci Fi Channel late at night when I was a teenager. And no, it's not great, but you know, it's a, oh. <laughs> it's a it's a found footage TV movie, and it's fun. Probably don't need to dwell about that very much. Almost there. We'll do the rundown. I did Sorry About the Demon, new release on Shudder as well. Um, mm. And he wants to pick up a new horror comedy on that one. 
I liked it, you know, I, I kind of liked it. There's, I really like the interaction between our main character, who's the guy that's moved into this house, and the demon who's called Diominus. Um, the guy's been tricked to moving in by the homeowners because the, the demon is there and they want to give this guy to him as a sacrifice. The demon doesn't want this guy, so he's trying to tempt him to bring people around so he can possess someone and take their bodies to hell. Um but there's just a lot of fun in it. The comedy, sometimes you have a, a black comedy or a horror comedy and the the comedy is in the over-the-top nature of the gore or it can be quite mean-spirited still. It's actually very nicely spirited. They're like nice people in this film and it gives it mm. kind of a different energy and I really like the dialogue. It's quite sharp. There's bits where this guy is just... The demon is quite petulant, going, "No, I don't want this money." So, what's wrong with me? He's like, just he just ha- he just gives this demon some shit and talks to it like you would, <laughs> like a roommate that you didn't get on with. It's it's a lot of fun. What's your in terms of horror comedies? What's your preferred ratio in terms of like I I like seventy thirty in terms of like seventy percent serious, thirty percent comedy. That's a good what mix. Do you, what? Yeah, That's I go balance. for. I, I I think that horror comedy should be more horror than comedy. Yeah, otherwise it's a comedy movie that's horror themed, right? Mm. Yeah. So where would you sit on like a? Because you know, there's from genuine horror into it. Are probably most famous of the genre. Where do you sit on something like a, like a Shaun of the Dead? I think the Evil Dead's easy to position as a as a horror first. But Shaun of the Dead, mm. do you call that a comedy movie about zombies or is it a horror comedy? I would see it as a comedy movie. And it unfortunately, it's a movie, like, a lot of the, the ones that are more heavy on comedy, I don't really revisit them. Uh, it's like, I I don't think uh, Evil Dead 2 is as good as like the first Evil Dead. I like Evil Dead, not Evil Dead 2, because like Evil the, Dead's the, more of a comedy. The more seriousness of Evil Dead 1. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. I don't revisit uh, more comedy heavy horrors uh, that often. Just, yeah, the only, except, the only exception, balance, the only exception is uh, still on Sam Raimi. Drag me to hell, which is yeah. very funny, but it's all somehow very scary as well. It's it's got some horrific jump scares and stuff. Yeah, so, Sam yeah. Raimi, I think, is very good at making the horror in his horror horrific enough, even if it's fairly mm. funny. Because there are like, Drag Me Tell is a perfect example. There are some bits in there that are funny but remain horrific as well. Like when they're in the grave and the body is falling on it. Cause you could imagine like, Oh my God, you'd freak out if a dead body yeah. fell on you and was leaking fluids all over you. But yeah. at the same time, it's funny to watch and it's done in a comedic way. I think that's a, that's a good directorial skill, I guess in those movies. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's a good, a good balance. Um, yeah. This, sorry about the demon, um, the physicality and the scares. It's definitely, I, Maybe the balance would be a bit too much on the comedy for your taste, Ed, because I think right. from a, in a dialogue sense, it is a comedy. Um, mm. It's it's demon and possession themed, but it's got it's got some it's got some spooks as well. But it's definitely by that by that measure more of a more of a comedy. I watched Cheerleader Camp from nineteen eighty eight. Um, that's a bonanza. I heard the folks at um, Nightmare on Film Street talk about it not too long ago, and I was like, I'm going to have to check this one out. And I'm glad yeah. I did. Um, not quite sleepaway camp, but it is. Uh, it, it's it's got that same energy. It's 
again for your world for retro horror it's mm. it's fun it's got some it's got some good moments that would be a classic vhs movie i watched dead space aftermath which in preparation for the new game coming out it's an animated thing that goes between dead space one and two it's an anthology piece so different studios have done different sections of the animation your mileage may vary it's fine and then i watched mosquito a 1994 some mosquitoes that drink alien <laughs> blood get giant and uh, also on shudder i've been really blitzing that shudder account recently but that's a fairly exhaustive list of the horror content that i've been eating up for the last week i think highlights i was going to pick out two things would be watch cheerleader camp and sorry about the demon okay cool so you know your watch list there is it like is a lot of them spontaneous picks or are they like proper? No, I've got to watch this. I've got to watch that. Like they're actually queued up kind of oh, thing. I don't queue them up. What I tend to do is like, I'm trying to tidy up a number of, a number of things. I want to make the most of having right. accounts like Shudder or, or all those mm. other things. I think, right, there's stuff coming out on here. So I'll say, right, next thing I'm going to watch is going to be a Shudder thing. Let's have a look. This, right. Sometimes I'll go on my letterbox and look at my watch list and say, right, what, what have I got on there? I'll just do a random scroll and say, okay, this mm. uh, I'll like filter it by horror and say, right, this is a horror movie and I have access to this because it's on. Letterboxd is very good. It will tell you where something's accessible at any given time. So I'll be like, mm. okay, I know what service that's on. Get on and watch it. Or physical media as well. Like I was saying, having to relegate stuff for things like, there's so much stuff that's been on the shelf either for years or I picked up in, with the intent of watching. It's like it's probably a lot of it casualties from the the three for a tenner HMV days. It's like, right, you know mm. what? I'm just going to actually get around to watching this so I can actually clear off some of that list a little bit. So it's mostly about clearing up various places where discs or files or watch lists, you know, when you have your my list on a platform, that you've got all yeah. these things that you've just always oh, very quick to go add that add that add that youtube as well the amount of old films that don't necessarily have a home that are just available in full on there so i've got like a watch playlist there as well i'm literally just going in and saying right i need to get away and finish this these bits of unfinished business or i'm going to end up coming back as a ghost if i ever die <laughs> wow so that is a real man it. on a mission there yeah, I've got to got to get through it. And like, you know, like I said to Ben last week, a lot of it is sometimes you end up with such a watch list because you kind of think, oh, I have to wait until I've got the perfect time to watch this. But yet when mm. it's a TV program, you'll sit down one day and go, oh, shit, I've just watched eight episodes of Pointless. <laughs> like back to yeah. back just in the background. So there are some films <laughs> like M. Night & Co. would suggest that you need to sit down and really pay attention to. But there are some things that you can quite happily have on in the background when you've when you've got half an hour and just do them in a couple of sittings. So I'm trying to do that yeah. to actually make a move through some stuff. But extensive list aside, one thing we've both watched this week is Deadly Friend. Yeah. So let me read this through for you here. So Deadly Friend. Here we go. So Deadly Friend is a 1986 movie by one Wes Craven. There's no, when there's no one alive who will pay. Try that again. Sorry, Ben. We're making me the edit. There's no one alive who will play with the girl next door is apparently one tagline for this movie. 
After a friend, after his friend is killed by her abusive father, the new kid in town attempts to save her by implanting a robotic microchip into her brain. Um, it stars um, Matthew Laboratrix, Kirsty Swanson, famous um, as the titular deadly friend, Michael Sharrett as uh, his mate next door, and then some other folks as well, including some old bullies that come along that are definitely in their 30s, somehow picking on 15-year-olds. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I only know uh, Christy Swanson from that cast list. That's the only one I know. I know, for, obviously, from Buffy. Yeah, Buffy. Buffy movie. Apparently, she's also in Dude, Where's My Car? In Big All Daddy, right, okay. Hot Shots, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and The Phantom. Oh, the Phantom with Billy Zane. She is in Billy Zane's The Phantom as Diana I've just Palmer. picked that up on Blu-ray. Oh, well, you're going to know Kirsty Swanson from something else very soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that on video when it first came out and I thought I saw a nice edition of it in HMV. I'm having that. Get in. You know what? The Phantom's all right, you know, underrated. Yeah. Um, Here's what we've got for Deadly Friend. 5.5 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes, 20% critic score, 39% audience score. It's at a 2.8 on Letterboxd, and Ben has pulled me out some choice reviews here. So Alan says, four stars, if this whole movie was just that yellow robot fucking people up, it would be flawless. As it's only, as, as it is, it's only near flawless. <laughs> Um, I just, I just, uh, my sorry, my uh, guinea pig is called Alan, so I just pictured my guinea pig uh, <laughs> you're, saying you're, that review. Your guinea pig reviewing that film. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how how you feel about Alan's review, uh, how you feel about it yet, Ed, but Alan, your guinea pig, thinks it's four star movie, near flawless. Um, right. Okay. Tim Cop says four stars. I loved BB and Terminator. Kirsty Swanson. Sorry, I can't be objective about this. And Lane Jordan also gives it uh, four stars. There's cheesy fun from the great Wes Craven, and that basketball kill is badass. Yes, I definitely agree with that. I mean, Ben usually gets a bit. Talk about that. Ben usually gets a bit of a cross section of 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 reviews there, and all four of these bad boys have given it four stars. So how it ended up with a only a two point eight is is beyond me. Um. But yeah, what we what you mentioned you have a history with this movie, Ed. I can't I can't bear the tension anymore. You're gonna to have to tell me what this history is. Right. So did you ever have like films when you're a kid, you like you you know, you snuck downstairs at late at night and you, you watch a little bit of a film you weren't supposed to watch, and it, it really like scarred you kind of thing, because it was like really, really frightening. It took me absolutely years to figure out this movie was one of those movies and uh, of course it was johan that uh, that told me that it was that movie when i described the situation he'd already seen it but um uh yeah it it, it was the scene where um Kirstie Swanson's character Samantha kills her father, and I came in on that, like, kind of thing. <laughs> and it was oh, just like a man horrific. Being smashed into a into a burning furnace. <laughs> yeah, so I saw an element of that, and also I, I for some reason I had I must have seen another bit as well because I I knew that she was a robot, so I kind of saw an element of her being a robot as well. Like, and it was only glimpses out of like I didn't know what it was, 
And I was for years I'd been like Googling like, uh, you know, little bits of information that I knew and I just couldn't work it out because you know how you your brain kind of warps uh, a memory. Yeah. I remembered her being more like uh, like a, a cheerleader or something like that. I remember her being like in a cheerleader outfit, but I don't think she was. Maybe your I brain IMDb'd it and was like, oh, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it was It was one of those situations. So I was glad that when I finally figured out it's, it's got to be that movie, that when I watched it years later, uh, it was it was it kind of lived up to what I was <laughs> expecting yeah. but obviously it's not it doesn't scare me now but like it did um, at the time I'm happy to confirm I know exactly what you're talking about my version of that was Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons vehicle Runaway um, that okay. I was terrified of I walked downstairs my parents were watching it at a point where these little uh, Gene Simmons's character Gene Simmons of mm. Kiss fame makes these little robot spiders that have like poison needles on them and they jump out and they inject people with poison and they die. And yeah. um, there's a scene where someone gets got by them and you just see him like fall down dead on the floor. And I walk downstairs, you know, probably like, you know, when you're a kid and you're basically just playing up and you're like, oh, I'm going to go, like, I haven't gone to sleep yet. So I'm going to go downstairs with like loads of excuses like, oh, my covers are untucked or, oh, I need a glass of water or something like that. And I was going downstairs to do that. And then I walked in on that bit and then I was like, oh, horrified now. And it it was not till years later when I, when I saw the movie uh, again, I they were like, oh, that isn't that scary. It's more of an action movie than our movie. That was also the time period of like, I, I was so young that I just kind of thought that my parents were just up all night. I just I didn't think that they slept. I thought they were downstairs all night. Permanently downstairs. It's like it's so weird. Yeah. It's it's very weird. And like, yeah, I think everyone is not like listeners, write in. What film scar do you for life that you inevitably walk downstairs to? Maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe our generation walked downstairs and it were were on. Whereas maybe the next generation, like, I don't know they put the TV in their room on or something like that and something was on late at night and they saw something mm. that they were like, oh, no, there's a watershed for a reason, lads. Leave it off. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, though. What's scarier, going downstairs and seeing like a bit of a scary movie you're not supposed to at night, as that, at that age, or going downstairs and it's so late that your parents are actually... <laughs> They've like, gone to bed. And gone to bed. Nothing. And the house is silent downstairs. And then you just start crying because you're kind of like, oh, there's no, no one there. Gr- that is up, frightening. Yeah, growing up as a kid, there was uh, like a there was like a side panel to our front door that was glass. And I always used to run up the stairs imagining that if I looked round, there'd be like a skeleton or something like that. I don't mm. know why a skeleton, but that would be what was at the glass like waiting for us. And yeah. I gave myself a lot of nightmares <laughs> watching... Um, even though they specifically told me not to have nightmares, used to always watch a crime watch. And then there'd be a, like a recon, oh, yeah. always be like a reconstruction. It wasn't even crime watch, I think. It was like something like Esther Ranson's Hearts of Gold and it was awarding a kid for being brave. And there was basically a story about how one day these family were at home and then these burglars just broke into the house with a knife and it was horrible. And like in many, <laughs> like watching as an adult, you'd say, oh, that's a reconstruction of a thing that happened and everyone was fine. But as a kid, you're like, that's going to happen like today. Yeah. Like a burglar is <laughs> going to come into my house and try and stab us all up. And like the kids ran up and locked themselves in the bathroom. Horrific. 
But yeah. Terrifying. So Deadly Friend traumatized him for you for many years, and then Johan was able to point out what it was. How soon after he pointed it out did you go and watch it? Uh, pretty soon. I think it might have been like, you know, a couple of weeks, like like a week or so later. Uh, as soon as Amazon but, uh, could deliver. <laughs> well, no, what was the thing was I wanted to get um, a really, of course, it was I wanted to get a good VHS copy of it mm. and I couldn't see one. So and I, it's not readily available on physical media, you know, this movie. And I ended up getting a Blu-ray in the end and it's a, a Spanish Blu-ray, but it's obviously got the English uh, yeah, language two, on there. Yeah, so it was uh, it was fine, but I um, it, it it doesn't look like a bootleg, but it could be. I don't know. It's, it might be a good bootleg. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a nice version anyway. Uh, so yeah, yeah. And then um, I guess before we go into the before we go into the the sort of plot summary that we'll go through spoilers for an, an ancient film. Everybody, we will go through this in detail, but. Quite an interesting production here, right? So my research on this was telling me that Wes Craven, it's based on a it's based on a novel, not a particularly long novel, about 300 pages or so. Um, it's yeah. based on a novel um of the same same title. The, the original novel was just called Friend, but when I found out it was a novel and went and bought it today, it's now called Deadly Friend. I'm guessing they've capitalized on the movie. Mm. Um Similar story, but Wes Craven made it as kind of a tragic, dark romance story without yeah. a lot of his trademark, gory horror moments in it. And then the studio basically stepped in after it was finished, um, which probably contributes to the way the film sometimes flows. A lot of scenes that give the relationship between the, the characters were were chopped away, and they did some reshoots featuring some terrible gory gory violence and don't get me wrong i'm glad those scenes are in there but it probably does explain quite a bit where the relationship between characters seems to just jump quite a bit right yeah they definitely i've I've got those little bits like in my notes like highlighted in red because it's like these are the standout like shoehorned in violent bits yeah this has <laughs> we'll been, ad- this them, has been added in here and basically they just do a scene between the characters every holiday there's a there's a there's a halloween scene and then there's a thanksgiving mm. scene and then before you know it it's pull the plug day which is the next major <laughs> event we see in life um yeah. yeah really interesting that they approach this and the wes craven of all these people you know this person who's recognized as a huge horror director to pretty much just after i haven't looked at the chronology of the releases but it must be just after nightmare on elm street right not Two, it's a couple of years after Nightmare on Elm Street this came out. Yeah, it's it's eighty six, and Elm Street was eighty four, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, a couple of years later. Um, and do you think? I, I don't think. I think uh, Wes Craven wanted to get out of horror a bit, didn't he? Uh, I think yeah, that's the dude, thing. he wanted to make other mo- other type genre movies. But unfortunately, any time he did, either the studio kind of said no, but you're known for horror, mate, or they. <laughs> It was basically just a case of like, yeah, you, you've tried that, Wes, but it's not really making bank, is it? Yeah, so <laughs> like, do you want to... Yeah, it... <laughs> so, yeah, he has tried some other movies, like dramas and stuff, but like they never really made a lot of money, never really did that well. So, unfortunately, you've got to just stick to what you're good at, Wes. 
Yeah, I mean, when you that's what happened when you create what must have been one of the uh, certainly for the period of time was like Freddy Krueger kept New Line Cinema in business during the eighties to the point they called it the House of Freddy, the house that Freddy built. Mm. Like when you're that well known for creating something so iconic, which let's face it, I think it's one of these things you can talk to someone about Freddy Krueger now, and despite the fact there's not been a Freddy Krueger movie for easily over a decade since since the remake now even right yeah um there's not been a new freddy krueger movie for an awfully long time but has that pop culture capital that people still know what it is um when you build something that that becomes that iconic it's probably quite difficult to step away from that world right yeah i mean he did he did like bits of uh, bits like this where you kind of like uh, in, later in the 90s was it 90 in the 90s when you did people under under the stairs that's when that's kind of like it's trying to be another genre it's not just full-on horror he, he really wanted to break into other genres and he's he, yeah there's there's a few times where he was trying that but with it, in this example though when we talk about deadly friend uh he really didn't want to do these elm street type uh, gory moments. He was really dead against it. So you can tell it, there's evidence in the movie where he's kind of like taking the piss a little bit. He's like, Yeah, you want gore? I'm going to make it like, laughable. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I feel like, especially as they, the studio mandated reshoots, I can only imagine like one day Wes Craven's just like, Yeah, oh, stay off today. He's sitting in bed, like thinking I'll have a lie. And then a knock at the door comes and the studio guys are like, Right, get in. Like, what? What's happening? We're driving you to, we're driving you to the set. You're filming some violence for us today yeah like it's like you've, when you've been told off by the teacher and you're not going home until this much so your time you're wasting Wes if you want to get this done get this filmed yeah I don't think we can blame the, the studio for the entire thing though because Wes wanted he wanted to focus more on the the characters he still the human characters can be really the scariest thing in this movie but a lot of his human characters are really one-dimensional so I don't think that he was he was really doing that particularly well I don't think I mean, like I mean be fair, Tom's characteristic is that he falls off his bike or onto the floor. <laughs> um yeah. yeah, you're right. Um and it's very difficult when you're doing a book, when you're following a story which is about the death of two beloved characters that then become mm. one deadly friend. It's very difficult to step away like the violence almost is Im implicit and is is drawn into that one. I can't wait to... Uh, I can consume a lot of media very quickly, Ed, but I can't read an entire novel in a day when I've only learned this morning when I was researching that this was a book. So um, I'm going to report back fairly, once I've read it. Is it a fairly short book? or uh, About 340 pages, depending on your mm. font size, on the Kindle store, as of time of recording, 99 of your British pence. Mm, nice. Uh, Treat yourself. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a little um, hangout book club. <laughs> everyone, yeah. <laughs> everyone read Deadly Friend this month. We'll get together um, and talk about that. Honestly, get in touch on the on the Facebook if you want to do that. I'll, I'll read it along with you. Um, but yeah, so let's let's get let's get into it a little bit, shall we? So I love a good establishing scene, right? A true mm. mainstay of American cinema outside a diner. Um, and we're introduced to some characters with classic superhero origin almost. There's like a petty criminal that's about to cause some crime. He's doing a bit of carjacking, like in those adverts with the hyenas over here. 
um, yeah. except to get strangled a, out by a robot. This is a very this is a cold open, isn't it? I think it's very cold. It's like it's twenty <laughs> below zero. This open, it's like it just. I don't think there's even a movie logo. It just kind of comes into this scene immediately. It, it's like it looks like an added on scene, like this a reshoot scene. Let's establish BB have to have some threat kind of thing. Yeah, he's already uh, got some late... problems. <laughs> yeah, and but yeah, we 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 don't at this point we don't see BB. We just hear the. Uh, the gremlin type voice. Say, I was going to say the exact thing. He has a gremlin voice, right? He has a striped voice in particular. Yeah, I think this that's obviously got to be because of the success of Gremlins. Because Gremlins was a couple of years early, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like 82, <laughs> That's the only it? reason I could think of he would have that voice because it's so bizarre. Yeah, and he never, like, despite being a very clever robot, he doesn't speak particularly coherently, right? So there's a there's this guy that's just outside the car elbows the window open and does a classic door unlock and he's off yeah. to rob he's off to rob the car you see him and he looks into the back here and like basically like and then he goes oh you're pretty cute and then like a big pneumatic arm just starts strangling this man and it, it is like a bart simpson strangle like his eyes are like <laughs> yeah um it's really good but... and then it, it... <clears throat> sorry go on no no you go go yeah, yeah. Well, I was just about to say that we the next thing we kind of get um, it, we introduce the the Paul and and the, and the mother, and they're, they're traveling to the new home, aren't they? But you get this is where you get BB's first sort of pixelated vision. Yeah. You start seeing through BB's eyes, which is great. I love like a BB's eye view. Like that's how robots see apparently, just just like you or I, but in a slightly more pixelated way. Yeah. <laughs> um. And also you get the credit of, on that roundabout, you get the credit of uh, Charles Bernstein, which is the composer for Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street. So you're thinking, oh, the score's going to be amazing, but it isn't. <laughs> so... oh, I mean, until you get to the absolute banger of a final track, right? Which, just, which is just music with a completely discordant, just BB doing some, I think Ben described it as uh, just scatting over the uh, over the end. Yeah, it's... It's samples of his voice under like with like slap bass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. BB's BB was like, you know, a young scatman John was watching this and thought, got an idea. <laughs> I'd have a number one sing single, followed by a moderately successful album, Scatman's World. Um but he um but yeah, so they're on the way to the new house. Paul is a boy genius he's a double mm. threat really he's a robot genius because he's built a bb but he's going to the most prestigious medical school in the country to mm. study medicine and brain surgery complicated brain surgery with the with like this doctor who's like not only is he a medical doctor working in hospital but he's also like the king of the university <laughs> yeah yeah i mean when they first arrive home, like shortly after, you 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 basically get like you look. He's looking around the neighborhood, isn't he? And like you, but I love when you first see BB, when you first get the like the because you kind of you before that you're kind of picturing oh what what could he look like, and here comes this like Johnny Five made out of Meccano kind of like looking thing. He <laughs> comes rolling out because they built him, they built him a ramp because they. I mean that's a big thing actually. They have 
chosen the car they have. You'd have like mm. a minivan that has like a side door, like a transit would, and a ramp coming down. So, so kind of the kind of vehicle you would have if you had, you know, uh, a wheelchair user or or a large family. Mm. You went on loads of camping trips. It appears to just be yeah. Paul and his mum. And they have a normal moderate. They have that car for the very fact that he has built a robot that needs it to get in and out. <laughs> so he needs that car to get in and out of. Their life is now BB. Everything revolves around BB. <laughs> <laughs> BB with the strength to throw a piano across the room. So they... apparently it costs 20,000 to make Did that he? robot. Yeah. It doesn't look it, does it? Well, bearing in mind that in last week's film, Megan. A part of that, they say, oh, you know, that robot would cost 10 grand. If Megan's were 10 grand, I ain't got kids and I'd get a Megan just to help us out. Yeah. $20,000, though, in 1986. <laughs> yeah. Might have to, in a little bit, I might I might pause and do a quick Google about what $20,000 is in today's money. Mm. Like a million <laughs> dollars. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot. So they built a BB. You would think in a Post Star Wars world, they could have just had some had a little guy in it driving it, right? Yeah, <laughs> have a little bloke in it. By the way, I'm 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 glad you mentioned the uh, the piano bit because yeah, because that's the first it. that's the first example of when you go into the house and they just they're unpacking, and uh, he needs a power outlet to like charge up. Just slings a piano out the way. That's the first. You know he's going to be trouble. This guy, don't you? Yeah. From that first instance, literally, like. He has that kind of desperation that a human might have. You know when you've you've messed up and you know you've messed up because you've gone out the house thinking, should I go for a wee before I leave? Nah, nah, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And then when you're on the way back or where you're arriving, things have gotten desperate and you're like mm. looking for your keys and you, <laughs> you throw the door open <laughs> to get in because you're now desperate for the toilet. That is what BB has because he even said, I told him to charge before we left and now he's desperate. He's getting in, he's getting in there and he throws a piano across the room so we can get the get the plug in um at this point we've also met like really convenient for new arrival to the neighborhood paul to make basically all the friends he's going to have in this entire town literally within the first few moments of arriving so the newspaper boy tom comes past um mm. and basically he's he's eyeballing bb as they've got out i was like i mean you would you would rubberneck if there was a robot just getting out of a car um, oh yeah, definitely. But he, but he stacks it. This is Bruce Campbell in the making. He's like, oh, "Let me do my own stunts." He sl- <laughs> slowly bangs the curb with his tire and goes over the handlebars. Um, introduces yeah. himself. This yeah. is this is Tom. Um, and he goes, "Oh, so you'll be in the tenth grade, right? So it'd be what? So you're tenth grade. You're fourteen, turning fifteen. Um, he's like, you'll you'll be in the tenth grade, right? Uh, we can be friends at school." Paul points out. Actually, I'm working at the prestigious Science University Hospital. So, but it's okay, despite the fact that we're not going to go to school and we have nothing to associate about. And I appear to fundamentally have a job. We'll we'll still be mates. I'm still my best friend. Will still be a completely normal fifteen year old with a paper round. Yeah, he's a bit of a smart Alec, isn't he, old Paul? Yeah, yeah Paul's uh... a, Paul's a smart one. Although Tom. I mean, Tom. This is the second. You know, he he shows he's got some some characteristics that may have dated over time. Once we meet our next character, because we very quickly meet Sam, who is classic 
the girl next door. Um, mm. She's over there. She wanders out and sees BV. Uh, Paul is just putting some stuff away in the garage. She walks out and sees BB mowing the lawn. It's like, oh, hey, what's your name? It's BB. Comes out. Paul's bringing his A game right away. It's like, oh, this is BB's. Uh, he's smart. I can tell he's smart because he likes you. And, oh, fucking hell, Paul, you old devil. Um, he's, he's straight at it. <laughs> I, I loved it when he was uh, basically BB's mowing the lawn and he's just standing there with a rake, like, oh, what do I do then? Because, <laughs> like, literally <laughs> doing the chores for him. Does this guy do anything now he's got BB? Yeah. Although, to be fair, like, BB seems thrilled to ribbons to be doing the doing the mowing why why mess with it he's happy to do it okay um but tom my note here just as old tom because we've met we've met sam now basically really transparently being abused sam has got like a big bruise on her arm that paul immediately clocks and her dad is like he is the sweatiest man permanently looking (laughs) angrily out of the window he's like (laughs) He's like constantly frowning, and he goes, "Oh, do you want to come round?" She says, "Oh no, I can't actually. I've got to can't come round now. I've got to go by." And then it follows up where my note is, "Oh Tom," because he's, "Oh, do you know? Do you know Sam?" So oh, yeah, I do know her, actually. Literally, the follow up comment: "Great tits, oh, Tom." And then Paul agrees. Yeah, he's, he's like, like "Hey, yeah, you're telling me snapped. it's like a lads, lads, lads <laughs> kind of." A- it's like really like makes you hate those characters immediately. Like when you watch it nowadays, but I think if you watched it in the eighties, it would have been like that. Would even would have been like just fun, you know. And it's like, been, oh, these, like, these yeah, guys is... are like a funny, aren't they? You'd have been agreeing with them. You'd have been like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking about this. I mean, the victims we have, you know, that are that are murdered in this film, reframe them with modern mindset. You've got. A widow who has been turned to drink, so someone who has an addiction problem, um, mm. someone who has an addiction problem, the the next door neighbour who's clearly uh, a paranoid and vulnerable old woman who's who's lonely and socially isolated, and yeah. then it's, uh, some, it's some lost, troubled youths it... failure to launch. I was going to say the uh, the old lady which across the street is a. Uh... Sloth's mum in the Goonies. Yeah, old Ma, uh, old Ma Fratelli. She's called yeah. Elvira in this one. Um, I particularly loved um, her description on the Wikipedia plot summary, which describes her as a reclusive harridan. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> not pulling any punches on the Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit of a outrageous. Um, but yeah, after Tom has done has done that. They have an encounter with some 35-year-old bullies. Um, so yeah. They're walking down the street, and this is another opportunity for us to see the, the true power of BB, because those horrible bullies come along, and they just do typical psychotic bully behaviour, which is like, oh, you've got a robot, have you? Literally probably the most, assuming that this in the world of the film, this is probably the most advanced robot you have ever seen in your life, and it's just down the street. It's like, oh, have you got a can opener? I'm going to smash it. Um but BB's not having any of it. He grabs the bully by the crotch. Yeah, not, pays for sure. it with the old. He pays for it with the old ball toll, doesn't he? He does. He. he I'm not sure a 1986 robot's going to have that much fine motor control 
to have just threatened to crush his balls, I think he'd have been done. Yeah. Also, it's that these guys have like stepped off the set of Grease too, haven't they? They're very yeah. like greasers. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually the main the main bad villain. He's got like the slick back hair, and he's got the motorcycle jacket like from the fifties, and uh, he's very much like a but like not a cool Grease member, a Grease two member. Yeah, he's a Grease two. To be fair though, to him, looking at the fellow here. He probably was in high school in the 50s. Now it's 1986 <laughs> and he's fed up with the fact that he didn't necessarily reach his potential in high school. So he's picking on actual teenagers, pretending and threatening to smash their robots. But um, BB gives them a grip in. They send, says, you better tell your boys to step off. And he goes, oh, off you go then. And then this is probably one of the things that I think maybe was a victim of the of the cuts because not only is Sam not mm. in this scene and the bully seems to know Sam, but we do not see the bullies again until the end of the movie, which makes it feel like after this one encounter, he's been planning his revenge for like the best part of a year. Yeah. I mean, I got the sense with this movie that it was almost like a little tight, tight knit community. Like everyone knows everybody, but I don't know whether that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's definitely like the movie wants you to think that. But like <laughs> later on, in fact, he even knows BB's name. He's oh no yellow BB to save you this time. <laughs> it feels like you know each other really well. There should be like a whole season of them becoming like enemies. But it's not this one encounter, and then we see them again later on. But BB fends off some uh fends off some bullies. Um then we get a scene where Sam does come round to visit, building their relationship a little. Um, they really play. It's like an unannounced visit, isn't it? Like yeah, an unannounced come, visit. She comes in, assuming that I think her dad has fallen asleep. She mentions later, so she's like, "Fucking mm. around quickly," and she's come round to visit Paul and kind of says, "Oh, sorry, I didn't get a chance to actually bake you any biscuits to welcome you." But I put, and then Paul really pauses. I love these these biscuits that she's brought over. Is like. Probably my favourite, actually. Oh, yeah. Gonna... It lingers is it lingers on this for a bit too long, doesn't it? Just like the <laughs> oh, yeah, I really like those packet cakes or whatever they are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's actually got like a big a packet of like moon pies or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then they he shows him around the house and he's like orgy of evidence that he is like a teenage prodigy. He's like got a mm. poster that says future on it. There is uh, <laughs> there's another picture that we see later, just a framed picture on the wall of Ludwig van Beethoven. I know it yeah. because it was the cover art from like a Beethoven CD collection that my dad had, like of classical, <laughs> like classical dad music. So there's a Beethoven yeah. on the wall. There's like his posters in his room are like science, history, future. <laughs> um, yeah, audio evidence that he is like a he's a clever boy. Yeah. Um, but she's not been there for two minutes and, you know, she's met his mom. and then sweaty, abusive dad turns up. He's like, it's my daughter here. He's like, yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, we were just studying. And then like pretty much like abuses her out of the door. She's like, he's dragging her, dragging her away going, ow, ow, you're hurting me. And it's like, oh, you should have thought of that before. Like, the- yeah, I mean, 
this is what I'm talking about earlier when I was saying like one dimensional characters. He's just evil. There's no like layers to this character. You know, normally like in, in that kind of scenario, he would pretend to be nice, wouldn't he, to other people, I would have thought. He would yeah. like pretend to be like, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, sorry to bother you. It's Sammy, like be like quite nice and then be a bastard when he's gone kind yeah. of thing. No, he's like in front of them being like an absolute arsehole. Maybe, again, maybe it's a tight-knit community and they know that there's a massive vacancy in the social services department in this thing because he is transparently abusive. Um, yeah. They say it just is constantly bad all the time and we have no reason to believe he's a stupid character, but he clearly doesn't care that anyone seems to know really obviously that he's, that he's like a violent person. Mm. but specific <laughs> crazy but, but specifically to his daughter like he isn't like i guess it's a com a, a difficult thing with the character to try and pass because he isn't like mean to paul's mom or rude to her he's like hello is my daughter there please and then as soon as he's got his hands on it it's like it's like giving her like a chinese burn as he's saying goodbye like it's yeah. like oh. it's like oh, it think... won't happen again yeah, and it's the old classic where because their their mother left, and I blame you for her leaving. There's a line about like yeah uh, in the in the nightmare scene that's coming up. There's a there's a a line about like you were telling him I'm a drunk like your mother did or something like that. It's a line <laughs> you're telling people that I'm a drunk, which I am. <laughs> um, yeah, that I mean it pretty much transitions into that scene now because Sam is wearing the same outfit in the night in the uh, maybe it's a Wes Craven thing, but like. I've thought several scenes in this film, we won't come to it for a while yet, were nightmares when they weren't, but this is an actual nightmare scene we've got. The dad does have a big Freddy energy about him, I feel. Yeah, this is the first uh, shoehorned gore scene that's very much like a Nightmare Elm Street scene. And it, it's it's kind of horrible. Like she, He comes into a room at night, threaten her. It's a comical evil, though. It's kind of funny. It's so yeah. over-the-top evil. It's funny. Like, And she's... And she so she stabs him with like the neck of like a glass vase, and it's like a tube of glass that goes into his chest. That you can and then he basically pisses blood all over her. Yeah. It's very horrible and to he, watch. And he goes on like this is where he has big Freddy energy because then he like is laughing maniacally, going, "Oh, you can't hurt Daddy because I don't want you to." And and then he points out like, "Oh, that robot won't be able to hurt me either." Don't know why I'm saying that. Seems weird. Um, that, <laughs> <laughs> like, no robot has the strength to be my comeuppance. Let me mark my words when I say that. Um, yeah. And then she just wakes up in her bed. Obviously, it is a it's a nightmare sequence that's been that's been inserted here. But he is, yeah, he is over the top. He's a he's got full. He he definitely has full Freddy energy when he's going onto this one. Maybe the guy's absolutely. Like, only Nightmare on Elm Street 1 is out at this point. Imagine, maybe 2 is out, but Wes Craven wasn't involved. Maybe the guy's thinking, if I do a good job of this one, Robert England never gets busy. <laughs> I could I could be in here. Um, so so she wakes up, they have the, a terrible dream, have a terrible dream stabbing, but then we see that they've got like a... It's kind of like a... You know when you get like in an 80s movie, you get a Mitch mismatched gang and everyone's got their stereotypes that they have into the in there we've got yeah. it in this group here we've got the normal boy tom we've got the genius kid paul we've got sam mm. the girl one 
And then we've mm. got the slightly quirky one, which in this case is BB robot. So that's like yeah. what a for what a, what a great little force. If they were like a like a JRPG little party, you can imagine those ones. That normal kid who's got like a bike, you've got a genius, you've got a girl, and you've got a robot. All you need the force well, types st- of people. When you see these guys together, it kind of um, reminds you of like what Wes Craven was more looking for because it's got like that's those elements are more like a PG thirteen type like. 12 kind of movie kind of atmosphere in those segments and it's it's quite jarring when you go from that family friendly kind of dynamic in those scenes to like the the nightmare blood coming out of tube <laughs> the scene we tube just had a moment ago with him yeah. literally bleeding out all over him while laughing like a lunatic um so they're in a lovely game of basketball and their ball goes over the fence into noted reclusive harridan's house um <laughs> Elvira. Um I think we've had a little encounter and a little point out on this one anyway when when Paul was doing his paper round saying one of these days I'm gonna go up there and I'm just gonna ring the bell and hand her the newspaper and she's gonna be absolutely livid. But she's lost yeah. the ball in this case. They've lost the ball. They're about to climb over. Uh Sam goes to go first, then Paul goes for it. She comes out and basically does classic mean neighbor t- tactic, steals the ball and goes like in my ball now, isn't it? Sucked in. And yeah, like and it, and takes it. it. And it makes you can does it you can tell that it makes BB like really pissed off, doesn't it? Like <laughs> and the... BB's raging. Does he get like red <laughs> eyes looking at? Yeah. Little foreshadowing for revenge later. Yeah, the two the two things like basically, I mean, spoilers for what's coming up eventually, two of our characters, I won't say who, will be combined into one and both of their vendettas. Some would argue one more serious than the other will be combined into their personalities and who they choose to take revenge on. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is when basically um, Elvira has marked her card with BB. He's ready for revenge at some point. Um, and then it feels like this is when you know we've had we've had a couple little scenes like we've seen Paul in you know less notable scenes just go and do some of his science at the university and the professor's been very impressed that he knows how to poke a dead body's brain that makes the leg move a little bit a leg with horrible toenails as well um yeah he makes it like he animates the corpse and he's like dr hansen's like how did you do that it's like, oh, this kid's amazing i'm good at science me <laughs> um but, but he actually i remember though at the end of that scene he's like he's amazed by it but he's really frightened as well. He's got like, he's like, look, I'm oh, pretty nervous about this guy. He's smart, but he's a bit, it's that dangerous level of smart. He's, he's right. He's going to do something one of these days. We're not very careful. Um, That's going to, that's going to get us into a spot of bother. But before that can happen, unfortunately, we have a Halloween night tragedy. Mm. Yeah. Um, Sam, it would appear is getting an excuse to come around a little bit. We see her like basically, she the the excuse she has sometimes is studying, but they've they've come out for a Halloween night out where they're dressed. You know, BB is dressed as a as a robot, obviously. Um, Tom, I think, is dressed as a dustbin briefly. Um, yeah, but they appear to just be doing tricks because they're like shaving foaming this guy's car, and he comes out yeah. like really. <laughs> this guy comes out of the house really defeated. Like, I oh, don't bother. <laughs> He's like, oh, 
I don't. Please. It's not like I don't think they're even knocking in any doors. They're just vandalizing property. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just trick. Yeah. Um. So they're out there with their robot and everything, doing these, doing these things, and then um, they come once again to reclusive Haradin Elvira's house, and again Tom kind of says, you know, this is the time I'm going to go up to the. I'm gonna go up to a door and knock on it, trick or treat, and we're gonna we're gonna it'll just scare her. I'm not gonna do anything bad, I'm just gonna ring the doorbell effectively. Mm. Get BB to open the combination lock, because Paul has said earlier, oh yeah, BB can open that. And Paul's got a bit of cold feet now, and he's like, Oh no, actually that's not it probably take too long anyway, but it takes BB like seconds to work out the combination. Yeah. Um and, and again. Uh... <clears throat> Uh, Sam goes up. She's dressed as like a a Roman. She's got a toga and some of yeah, those like a, got a toga, like toga. But they tried to make it a bit sexy. Yeah. So we've got Kirsty Swanson in this. Yeah. Let's put a little off the shoulder number, shall we? Yeah. Um, you know, we know what Tom's opinions on her chest are, so they thought, right, come on, let's get a bit of sex appeal to this. Um, BB goes for it first because obviously she's his enemy, but they turn BB off. Um, mm. True to form, um, Elvira comes out wielding a shotgun for the third time in the movie and is like pointing it at children in the neighborhood. Um, and BB goes rogue, he reactivates and basically charges towards the old woman. In hindsight, for scary robot with red eyes charged at you, maybe she's not entirely in the wrong here. Um, <laughs> The doorbell as well sets off an alarm, doesn't it? The yes. whole neighbourhood can hear her like doorbell going off. So her I mean, how did you? What about when she gets mail and stuff? Yeah, like surely someone's going to. Would you necessarily like an, a burglar that you wanted to stop breaking into your house? They wouldn't press the doorbell. <laughs> so, like hitting yeah. the doorbell basically sets off the uh, to UK listeners. I guess it is the equivalent of like the QI klaxon when someone says like a wrong answer. Like a huge load of lights flashes. It's like a wooger's for days. It's like um, John Fashion who's in the house. It's um, there's loads, <laughs> there's loads of these signs, and that's when that's when she comes out, locked and loaded, ready to go. But she does, in a tragedy not equaled since that bit in Short Circuit Two when Johnny Five gets beaten up with baseball bats. Um, she shoots BB to to death, basically. Yeah, quite a few shotgun blasts. But I, I don't know about you, but like if you compare that to Short Circuit, I felt really sorry for Johnny Five when he gets demolished by like van, like but by those. But I, I don't feel sorry for BB at all. But I find him really annoying up to this point, and I'm like, good, he's been <laughs> blasted to bits. He was trying to attack that old woman. In fairness, because I guess I never thought about this. This is that I didn't really notice on the first watching. There are red flags on BB, not only with him strangling the burglar. Um, you know, he has got some insight. When we see him in BB Vision looking at Sam's dad, he does say baddie. Um, mm. But he has got a vendetta against this lady and he does charge her. And he has been acting more erratically because that's one of the things Paul says, like, oh, no, he's been acting really weird recently because he has his chip is a, it's like a Terminator. It's a learning computer. He has a basic program. This pairs very well with Megan, actually. In many ways, has Wes Craven not been trying to teach us these same lessons that Megan reiterated to us 
almost for, like 40 years, just under 40 years later. That you think got... if you're doing AI, you'd have some safeguards when it was like a, when it was a le- if it's a learning computer, you gotta have some boundaries. Yeah, don't don't decide to charge an old person. Um, <laughs> but yeah, BB does get does get killed. Some a tragedy for Ed, a great relief. Um, <laughs> BB's finally gone, but it's got at least some degree of relief for Paul as well because we literally we go from them like him crying in the bushes and trying to pull away to to run out uh, and go to BB's side to literally the next the next scene it's Halloween now and he's done nothing to try and repair BB. No, well he no he jumps straight into Thanksgiving, doesn't he? Yeah, like so, Thanksgiving so, dinner, yay, Thanksgiving. Like yeah, straight after like, like oh, tragedy. What, what are you thankful for? Uh thankful that only BB was killed. And also like you're a you're a boy genius. Like you could rebuild your robot, right? Because as we learn momentarily, his brain is fine. Mm. Yeah, maybe it took maybe it take took him a long time to build. And yeah, he maybe got... just a, just a bit yeah. of a hassle. <laughs> <laughs> his mom's livid. Like, Mon Mo- hasn't the lawn hasn't been mowed since bloody Halloween. Oh, it's I guess it's winter now. <laughs> Gosh, probably didn't need doing until spring. Um. So it's it's Thanksgiving. Sam is round for Sam's round for Thanksgiving. I think we had another scene just before Halloween where a dad had given her a bloody nose. So a mom, the mom yeah. has kind of said at this point already, like, mm, "Is he dad?" Yeah, because when they were making the when they were making the jack o' lanterns, she randomly came over like, "Oh, have you got any ice for my bloody nose?" She said, oh, no, and then I they just, said, "I like... just get them sometimes. I just get a punch in the face sometimes, and <laughs> my nose bleeds. Nothing to worry about." Um, so yeah, like by ne- this time it's common knowledge, and basically they say, "Oh, bless this food and let Sam's dad stay burn in hell, stay fucking asleep for the entire time." Unfortunately, he's not asleep. Something about holidays and tragedy in this town because BB was killed on on Halloween, Thanksgiving. Mm. They have a lovely Thanksgiving dinner. Um, Sam's dad is awake, and then when she comes home. He really loses it. He abuses her again, and she gets pushed down the stairs. In the result, yeah, you got the time be- dead. Before that, you got like the time, uh, just a little squeezing for time for like them to have their like first kiss. Oh yeah. So it's like it's like oh, it's a really sweet romantic moment. Like definitely looks like it's their first kiss, and uh, it says goodbye to Sam. Yeah, and she goes into the house, and like it's it's quiet. She's kind of pretending. She's like sneaking in and like, she, like she thinks that he's asleep. Up, right? And then she like picks yeah. her books up that she's left on the kitchen table to pretend she's been studying because he obviously accepts that as an excuse. But it's like, yeah, it's really tense. And then he, I think he appears like a jump scare, doesn't he? Out, out the, uh, out the sort top of doorway. Of the <laughs> yeah, he comes yeah. out and then he, he he hits her and sends her down the stairs and she starts like fitting because she's banged her head. Um, mm. And this is where like... Oh, it's a bit like, I mean, she had the same feeling that you had, Ed, coming downstairs when you par- so late that your parents had gone to bed. It was too quiet, and she was like, hello? <laughs> Is anyone there? Um, I know. But then when she's when she has been done, it's a bit like, um, I don't know if you've got like brothers or sisters or whatever, but if you've been fighting when you're a kid, and then one of you actually gets hurt, and at first you're like, oh, come on. Like, you're only playing. And yeah. then all of a sudden it gets very serious. It's like, 
Like, because now you know what's happened. Like, one of you's actually been hurt when you were playing. Yeah, uh, it's definitely that. He's not playing. He's a bad bloke. But he's like, stop mucking about. Go on. And the next yeah. thing is the ambulance going. And for a guy who has been transparently abusive this whole time, now he's trying to get his excuses in, like, as um, Paul and his mom come running over to see what's happening as she's loaded into the ambulance, he like does a somber like look to the floor, like I told her not to leave things at the top of the stairs. Like and I said that she was going to fall down one of these days and break yeah. her neck and die. Um, but now my only worry is that I was too late. Um, That's about as like you know sensitive in terms of pretending to be sensitive that this character gets <laughs> yeah because moments later when he's at the hospital and uh professor professor johan who's the not johan who's your co-host <laughs> professor johansson johansson <laughs> yeah professor johansson uh, who uh is the is also just the doctor on duty as soon as he's sitting down with the dad he's like yeah, I feel like uh, brain activity. Probably don't want to wait for it, actually. Um, what's the soonest we could switch off a life support system? Yeah, he's, he's gagging for it. He's like, yeah, I think we should turn it off right now. Yeah, I said, oh, well, I have got plans this weekend. Do you reckon, you know, it's probably better that I get on with the, with the grieving process, actually. Why string this out? And he shows no remorse whatsoever when you see, he, he's waiting. He's like looking at the uh, the monitor, like for the the flat line. He's like waiting for the flat, line and it's like sees it. Ah, it's almost like relief like, yeah. when he sees the flat line. He, he's got it planned, but Paul is having is having none of it. He's like, they can't. You know, there's loads we can do. There's loads we can do to stop someone having being brain dead. That obviously they're they're not approved. Um, they're not approved methods. So they go right. I'm afraid. Do this happens? Do they schedule someone's life support being switched off time? They're like, yep, 10 p.m. tomorrow, we're going to switch her off. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. That is such a weird thing. But it's just so later they can have, like, plan it in, isn't it? Like, they yeah. can plan their, like, escape, plan their, like, rescue mission. Yeah, plan it like it's a heist. And that's what, that's what Paul does. He goes around to... Uh, Tom's first thing in the morning, five past six. It's gonna bury you because it was established earlier on that Tom's dad is the caretaker at the university, so he's got keys to everything. That was the point mm. he made when he said, "Oh, my dad, it's a caretaker." Actually, you might not think that's interesting, but as a result, he's got keys to bloody everywhere. Um, <laughs> just in case that comes comes back, so he's come and said basically, <laughs> he does he does our strong guy but says, "I'll get you dad's keys for us." He goes. I don't want to. That's I can get in loads of trouble. He said, "Well, you did say at this point a couple of months ago that it was your fault that PV got killed." Yeah, <laughs> and I, I love in this scene as well when he actually he 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 tells like Tom his plan, but he does that funny comical thing where it doesn't it doesn't show that bit. It goes to the exterior of the house, and you hear Tom going, "You want to do what?" Like that from the outside. <laughs> And then two hours has passed because now it's yeah. like no, it's like what? Um, yeah. So he's told he's told him stuff. We don't know the plan just yet, but part one of that plan is that Paul's uh, that Tom's going to stay around at Paul's house that night, have a little sleepover, 
and they're going to have to get there um, before they turn off Sam's life support machine. Hmm. Part of that will, of course, mean drugging his mom. What's <laughs> <laughs> the awkward that? Yeah, they're like they're, uh, when they're having the coffee at the table, yeah. and they're like, yeah, dissolve, dissolve, dissolve. <laughs> like, also, where did he? <laughs> if, if if Paul had such a massive access to sleeping drugs, they could have dealt with the issue of Sam's dad quite easily. Every time she wanted to go out, you could have been drugging him. He could have Is he a chemist Sam. as well now? He could have been sleeping he... soundly every night. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's got some sleep. He's got some sleeping medicine that he. They're like, do you want some dessert? Mm, no thanks. Then Paul's like, yes please. I need my mom to turn her back for thirty seconds. Turns around, he's got it in. Then she goes, oh, do you want whipped cream? Yes please. Stirring it with his finger, despite the fact there are spoons right next to him. <laughs> um, and thinks they're busted for a second. She takes that first sip and is like, oh, and everyone's like, what? I make really good coffee. And then Tom's like gobbing his pie everywhere because he found that so disturbing. <laughs> um, and he's like, what's wrong? So I just got slit in my throat. And then like all sleeping drugs, it's proper like Metal Gear Solid where you've got to wait for it to take effect. And at first she's sitting there going, oh, literally having a conversation with her. I'm really tired, but maybe we should just go to the hospital because I feel like we should be there while they turn Sam's life support off. And Paul's like, well, eh. Easy come, easy go. And then she just stands up to make more coffee. And then it's like enough time has passed and sleeping drugs works. And she like just basically sits back down, collapses off to the side. And it's, it's great. And she also says, when they turned it off at 9 p.m., and she goes, 9 p.m.? I thought it was 10 p.m. No, it, they changed it. It's 9 p.m. <laughs> so it means they have to go like speedy Gonzales, like the next day, like heist mission has to go like in proper turbo, doesn't it? Like, yeah, the dad has bought the time for it. He's trying to negotiate it all the time. It's like, oh, come on. I've only paid for 24 hours parking. I could really get back. I don't need to set the video. Um, <laughs> like, he's, he comes and says, oh, can you bring it forward and just turn my daughter off a bit earlier, please? And we go, okay, we can do that. But Paul's plan is he's he's got everything ready. He's got BB's battery for the life support machine. He's got... Um, he's got some equipment and he basically says, right, he gets Tom to agree to turn the power off and he goes to ride the slowest elevator in the world up to up to you know, to get Sam. Yeah. Um, the dad has once again negotiated it come forward even further. It's like, right, at 8.59 you turn off the power and, me and meanwhile it's like 8.57 and the dad's like I mean, I probably said up the goodbyes. I mean, do you want to just get on with it? Do you want to just turn it off? It's probably better, better that we just let her go. Um, so the doctors don't notice that this is a problem. They agree to it. They turn her off. Um, Tom does turn the power off, but it seems the elevator like has just enough energy to get right up at the top. Yeah, I think it's like, isn't it like emergency power or something? I suppose yeah. you're led to believe it's that. The emergency power and it means the lights are a bit flickery and the doors do open. Um, but in 1986, people reacted to a power cut a lot differently to the how they react to them now. They're just running around the hospital like lunatics. It is. It's like a, there's an actual fire, you know, in the in the hospital. Yeah, they're they're legging it around the place. Everyone's like shaking their arms around and is in a big panic. And they get like a lovely. 
it's almost an A-team level like announcement, isn't it? You know, like when something like the A-team developed like what will be a deadly weapon that they go, oh, don't worry, everyone ejected safely. Like there's an announcement <laughs> going to the hospital saying, don't worry, everybody, life support systems will make sure everything critical continues to work. But um, you are going to have to just be careful, all right? Um, and that gives Paul enough opportunity to go and he finds out that Sam has been turned off prematurely um, but not one to be defeated, just steals a body. Yeah. Yeah, he just goes along with it anyway, and he's, he's dead eager to get that chip in a brain. <laughs> yep. He gets back, he puts a chip in a brain, and then basically goes, right, so basically, the this is BB's brain, um, not just a similar but formatted different version. BB's brain, I put it in here, it'll find out the parts of a brain that work, and it'll reroute around the damaged areas and she'll just be fine, I guess. No no negative, unforeseen consequences of that. And Tom at first mm. is like, this isn't going to happen. And then Sam starts just kicking a leg around and he absolutely stacks it and face plants on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I love it as well. Like what they, they go back into the house and the mum, they think the mum's dead at first. Oh, I for a genuine second was like, shit, have I forgotten the bit of this film? As he killed his mom, and this is an even bigger tragedy because they think that she's they think that she's overdosed her, right? And Tom's like, "Told you'd put too much in there." Yeah. And for a second, I thought, "Have I forgotten this bit? Of this movie is his mom going to have died?" But he just has to shake her enough, and then she does wake up and suspects nothing, and just goes about her business. And also, like, isn't even slightly annoyed that, like, okay, so allegedly you two were both just in here all night and you didn't wake me and tell me that I might want to go to bed. You didn't even put a blanket over me. You just left me passed out on the sofa, like face planted into the cushions all night long. Oh, it's crazy. And then I think then isn't it like um, Paul is then working with Sam. Um, to get her to like sit up and stuff. Yeah, just sitting up, like more movement and stuff like that. And you can now see that she's sporting like adamant style eyeshadow, yeah. isn't she, at this point? Very <laughs> silvery like the... blue eyeshadow. Yeah. That's what dead people look like, apparently. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's a combination? Is it meant to be that she's like a like zombie, undead, sort of ghoulish look? Or is it that she's a bit roboty? Bit of both. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, yeah. I think it's just because it looks cool. Yeah, it looks cool, and it sh shows that she's a little bit that she's a little bit wrong and a little bit weird. Um, it also reminded me of Pris from Blade Runner as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it has got, got like, a, like, an art, like an artificial life form, like, pallor to her, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's okay. Fundamentally, the guys have... Um, the guys have got away with it. Like, um, is there any reaction from the police that her body is gone yet? They're like, oh, body's missing. I don't know, because they didn't, it's not like he, he took it out of the morgue, you know, like they would took think it, it was still the in the in... bed. <laughs> yeah. Just folded no. her in half into that, into that laundry basket that he was pulling and like took her out of the hospital. That was um, a tiny basket. Yeah, they were graceful, is it? Folded in half in there. <laughs> um, thankfully, you got to her quick enough before she'd like gone gone rigid. But looking out of the, looking out from where he's got her stashed, she spots 
abusive dad and then just as she's learned to walk again robot Ooh. sam goes uh to st- deal with one of her vendettas that she has in her brain and this is what traumatized young young you right yeah yeah it's 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 the bit where she basically it goes into a slasher movie at this point doesn't it it goes into like i'm gonna pick off all these people revenge mission kind of thing and this is what like wes craven didn't want he didn't want that like you know vengeance kind of bloody bloodthirsty vengeance kind of vibe um but yeah so uh so sam sam like that sam's dad is like he's woke he can hear something in the house he it's like a and he's kind of lured like an animal with a bottle of bourbon on the steps of the uh, cellar. He's like, ooh, bottle of bourbon. It's like, ooh, piece of candy. It's like, ooh, piece <laughs> of candy. Yeah. <laughs> he's like lured into the basement uh, with like a full blaze. Like the furnace is going off like full blaze. Like it's like a, it's, like, it's pretty much on fire. Like really the basement. Stoked, really stoked up. And as soon as he's at the top of the stairs, he gets a taste of his own medicine and he gets booted down. And... Yeah. And she just appears from like behind the stairs with like wide eyes, like just approaching him. And and he's like, Sam, Sam, like that. And then, it, but he doesn't give it much second thought. He goes for the spade, doesn't he? He goes to smack her with a spade. Yeah, and she blocks it, and then yeah, he just like she breaks his wrist, like j- pulls his wrist all she the way back, bends his wrist all the way back, like playing um, peanuts with him. Um, yeah, but after she throws the spade and embeds it in a wall, because this is what we immediately find out that robot brain equals robot strength. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who would have thought that you would think naturally that a robot strength come from the the hydraulics and the machinery that make it, but actually common misconception it's the robot's brain that actually makes it strong and also she her movement is like a robot isn't it her movement's she like, like she's made of metal she's got like pincer hands she does like bb hands yeah and she she moves like she's doing the robot dance from the 70s yeah. kind of thing she moves like slow motion kind of like she doesn't move like a human being and i think if a robot chip was in a human body they would still move like a human I think maybe a, maybe a 2023 robot brain, but a 1986 <laughs> robot brain. It's like you're permanently doing like uh, Daft Punk's around the world. She's like really deliberate, like walks towards him while he's making excuses. Going, oh, please. It was just an accident. I didn't really mean to kill you and ignore all those things I said about switching you off immediately. Because I think he takes it as I think he takes it as that oh shit she's actually alive rather than she's a ghost or anything like that right he just assumes that she just didn't die yeah and um, um yeah she just picks him up uh like puts him on the furnace like so he's burning on the furnace and then she lifts him up and kind of like breaks his neck yeah and um then Paul just comes in and and by that point she's already done more damage at that point she's put his head. In the furnace. <laughs> yeah, she's fucked him up some more off camera. Um, <laughs> and this is maybe she was taking, you know, taking the piss because he thought, oh, yeah, in that nightmare I had about you, you had big Freddy Krueger energy. I'll teach you to want to be Freddy Krueger. But they, maybe the actor <laughs> was like, come on. Again, that same thing. If Robert England's busy, let me give me an excuse to put some burn makeup on and see. Did I show him what I'd look like? Come on, Wes. <laughs> you can hardly tell. You can switch the actors out easily. Um yeah, he um, he's all burned up. 
I feel for a bit for Paul in this one because you know he's a he's a young guy. He's meant to be about 15, 15 16 years old. He's probably mm. his first love, his first big relationship. He's been through an emotional time. His best robot friend died. Then he just got together with someone, and then she fundamentally died. And then he's gone through the probably the joy of bringing her back to life. Um, and you know now you. you as far as we're aware, you had your first kiss together. What an exciting time we've been there. That first kiss was all that potential, that possibility. And the next thing you know, you're covering up a murder for her because she's killed her dad. Yeah. And I like when um, Paul arrives, uh, like Sam, like it looks at him like, oh, I'm really pleased to see you. It's almost like, you know, when a cat has like killed a bird and it's kind of like almost like given... <laughs> Giving it is like a treat. Like this is like this is for you. This is like, and she just looks almost smiley at Paul. Like she's really pleased to see him, and like, and she's like obviously no emotion towards her actions, but she's got a slight bit of emotion towards Paul. I mean, well, this is probably a good time to to pick this up here. Like, you know, we've we've talked about how much or little of Kirsty Swanson's um, filmography, you know. Mm. Is this not great acting pretending to be a robot or is it incredibly nuanced and brilliant acting where you really capture the the tragedy and the conflict of this semi-robot, semi-girl-brained person who can't really express themselves? There's a great sadness to the eyes in this one. I think it might be brilliant acting. Yeah. No, I, I think that... Uh, her performance is the only one I find quite believable. Like, and uh, especially when she's, you know, uh, undead robot girl, uh, I think her performance is great because it's quite subtle, but it's it's it is brilliant. You do see the subtleties between, like, having bloodthirsty sort of no remorse towards people, but and actually like slight element of like, oh, I, I like this person uh, yeah. towards. Paul she's like and that never like fades and you know like really she really kind of feels for him all the time even if he like you know it, well we'll get to it but I'm yeah gonna, I'm gonna throw that out there I think this might be Kirsty Swanson's greatest performance and I genuinely I'm not taking the piss think it is good acting um mm. yeah I, I I kind of got this which is astounding with the way you just described it some people in this film Tom has to pretend to be a fairly normal boy. And he doesn't do it su as successfully as Kirsty Swanson manages to be an undead half-robot girl. No. Which no one has that experience to draw upon. You can't go method on that. You can't be Jared Leto and just be an undead robot for a bit and try and no. try and get that right. Just just imagine. Yeah, that's it seems like that perhaps perhaps the only thing that that the Wes was focusing on that a lot for the, his direction, I would have thought as well. He he really wanted to push her to be the best she could be, I think, because yeah. uh, he seems to get a lot out of his protagonists, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, I think she's I think she's very good mm. in this, genuinely good. But yeah, Paul Paul basically covers up the murder and hides the dad in the coal bits of him. I yeah. guess she's actually quite a gruesome body cover up. And then he basically takes us to the bedroom and says, oh, just do us a favour, stay in this bedroom, will you? Don't do anything else. Um, and she immediately, Sam, 
opens the curtains and who does she see but BB's enemy, reclusive Haradin, Elvira. Yeah, because he locks her in her old house, doesn't he? So she, so the um the so Elvira sees her in her own house in like where she used to live. I think. I think so. I better phone the police. Um, yeah. So, so really creeps her out. But that's the iconic shot, isn't it? The poster shot. Yeah. Opening it's behind the her background here. She's um. Yeah. She's she opens the curtains with her silvery sort of robot pallor that she has here. Um. Elvira sees it and phones the police who'd be like, oh, whatever, I'll send someone around eventually. Um, and then there's a really odd bit where we get almost like quite an extended bit of like this black and white movie that Elvira's watching on TV where this guy is like going, ah, the police, they know when you've got blood on your hands, you can, they've got special police dogs that can smell the blood. And, they, and it's quite an extended scene about basically how it's really hard to get away with a murder. Yeah. I mean, that that often happens in movies, isn't it? Like, what they're watching relates to yeah. what, what's happening in the film. Uh, I'd, I'd love moments. to know what film that is. I know. You know I wonder... Yeah, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to know what, what I might watch. Uh, yeah, like, cause it seems like the guy's talking to, like, a younger person about how, like, never get away with the murder. I might need to look that up on the IMDb trivia at some point. I should have done that in advance, but I'm going to try and find out what that is. Hmm. Um, you can never get rid of all of it. There's yeah, always can, a little bit left. You get a little bit of blood that you can't get rid of. Um, but I mean that the the comfort uh, that the police might be able to find out who did the murder is not going to do very much good to poor old Elvira because um, Sam now uses that ability. She knows the the padlock code. She's able to undo that with her robot brain and. Mm. Um, Elvira hears a bit of noise. She goes to investigate the front door to find that the locks have been smashed off. Um, she's like going around with the old gun, getting a bit spooked. And then just as she calms down, as like the basketball bounces in, she's like, bloody kids. And then before she, she's let her guard down for just a second, then she's being strangled from behind by Sam as we get into the greatest scene of this movie. And I would, from a horror perspective, and I would argue probably one of my favourite individual horror movie kills ever committed to film. Yeah, the, the annoying thing is, I'd had you seen this clip before seeing the movie? In, in isolation, yes, I had. I had as well, which kind of ruins it, because I watched it with a friend who hadn't seen that clip, and his reaction to seeing that for the first time within the film... He, he was so great. I wish I had that experience. He was laughing so much. <laughs> but he thought it was amazing at the same time. Can you imagine having the the cinema experience of that moment, having not seen the film? Maybe I'm yeah. adding this to my well, list. If I get a time machine, I'm going to go to 1986 and I'm going to go to a film screening live of A Deadly Friend. Also, before... She when she's like when Elvira is kind of like uh th like hearing noise in the house and th and threatening she's got the shotgun. There's a really bad line delivery of like when she says oh, go the shotgun. <laughs> like, it, it's the most mumbly line ever. I'm like Wes, do we need another take of that? I think we do. Like, <laughs> this but he's like nah, stop bothered. I'm giving up on this film by now. It's one of those violent scenes they made him put in later. So it was like fuck it, no one take. That's all I'm getting. 
<laughs> because she just genuinely sounds like she's had a stroke or something like that, and it's not in keeping with any of the rest of her lines. No, but this this uh, scene with like the you know the exploding head, uh, it is literally. I think this is like the the bit where he uh, Wes Craven must have been like, uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this like full on, but it's he's almost laughing at the movie himself at that point. I think when he's making that. Because it's not, you can't take that kind of thing seriously, can you? You can't think that's a genuinely like scary horror moment. Yeah, it's, it's very it's funny. Gotta be over the top that you can get like throw a basketball hard enough at an old lady's head that you will explode it. Um, I wonder actually. Now I'm thinking of it. Knowing what they did with these reshoots and so on, do you think that the basketball being taken away was part of the original thing? And then when they got pulled back in to do these reshoots he was like well what loose threads have we got here oh okay there's a basketball that that she's taken is in the house yeah well the the, the build-up to that is kind of creepy like when you see like the slow bounce into the room yeah. it kind of reminded me of things like i think there's like the movie the changeling has got a bouncing ball hasn't yeah. it like yeah. and it's like that's kind of like it's a bit like that kind of vibe and I liked that. That was kind of creepy. But then it goes, so it's got a, an actual general, genuine creepy horror moment to like a very, very hilarious moment straight after. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, it's so over the top. The head basically shatters into pieces. The body continues moving around on its own. There's blood spurting out of the neck. And then I imagine an actor that has a shorter actor that has a like a head and like a shoulders and a lack of neck above them basically staggers around and then falls onto the floor if you haven't seen it it's worth watching the entire film for at very least finding that clip it's mm. an incredible moment of horror cinema so what happens next i think it's, so, is it is it uh paul's in bed isn't he and doesn't the basketball appear again Oh, I don't remember the basketball appeared again now. There's a couple of yeah, days. Yeah, there's like, isn't there like, um, yeah, there's another like nightmare sequence type of thing, isn't there? So Paul's in bed, basketball bounces into the room, and we suspect it's Sam creeping under like the duvet towards oh, him. Oh, yes. That's but right. It's, think... it's actually the charred dad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, this charred dad who now, with every scene he's in, I'm more and more convinced was after a Freddy Krueger role. He's like, exactly. now, I'm a, now I'm a burnt man in a nightmare as well. And he just pops out in Paul's dream to go, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scary man. And he's like, what? Do you actually say anything? Did <laughs> you just like basically go, whoa, <laughs> at them? Yeah, he, had a, he, he just, he comes out of the covers, doesn't he? And just kind of goes, whoa, like that kind yeah, of thing. And then, and then it cuts to the next scene. Yeah, and then he's like, oh, bloody not. So Paul's having a stressful time. After our horrible nightmare scene with um, with Freddy Krueger wannabe sweaty abuse dad, he things start falling apart. Like I think at some point, like he's obviously been trying to hide Sam and he's been going to work, but um, Doctor Johansson comes along, Johansson, and says to them, "Oh, how's how's Paul doing?" Fucking hell, Doctor Johansson, you see him every day. And he's like, "Oh no, he hasn't been in for days." And the mom. Mm the mom is kind of getting a bit suspicious. We already had like a, they've been caught fake out when he's like, Paul, Paul robot man Conway, come out here at once. And then you think, oh no, he's she's been busted hiding 
zombie robot Sam in the house. And he goes, "What are you doing, leaving this sleeping bag out on the out in the garden?" <laughs> yeah, and it, it's all it all starts going downhill, doesn't it? Like you get like Sam breaks out of the closet she's locked in, and she she kind of starts putting two and two together, doesn't she? She spots a photo of her BB and Paul, um, and then looks at herself in the mirror. And becomes angry and kind of like breaks it and stuff. And she she's starting to like emote more and she's starting to feel like sad and realize what's going on. That she's and who do you take as the lead thing? Like for me, this is like a thing we begin to understand that she's probably both Sam and BB now, right? Yeah. I when I'm watching it, when I I'm kind of thinking it's more like to begin with, it's more like BB controlling the body. Yeah. And I think as it goes on, more of Sam becomes fused with BB, I think. Comes to the surface. Later right. on. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's very robotic, but then she begins to have like these, like I said, these emotive responses. Like whenever Paul is like putting her away in a cupboard or whatever, she kind of like is constantly looking at him. So that affection for Paul yeah. is still there. Um, and she's more acrobatic at that point as well, so that she is more moving more like a human later on. So. Yeah, yeah, she definitely moves more. Like so, yeah. Paul is Paul is spiraling. He, the police start coming around because obviously Elvira had phoned the police that she'd seen them. So the police come and investigate, and mm. um, old Tom is cracking the shits. He's like, "I'm going to tell him. Uh, like, you can't, you can't do this. You've got to, like, you can't get them." Paul again, little gaslighter, goes for the sake of our friendship, just come round. Uh, he goes round, and basically, she's hiding him in. She's hiding in the attic at the minute. Um, yeah, the attic that we got mentioned earlier on. She said, "What's up there?" Oh, just the attic. That literally the only reason it gets mentioned to prove there's an attic. Um, yeah. So Tom comes to meet her, um, but it's like, nah, I'm not convinced. She's we're like we can't. Well, she looks very movie. scary. She emerges out of the darkness like Edward Scissorhands with like wide <laughs> eyes and like oh, the weird hands. Scuttles across the floor really quickly and hides. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, he's not having any of it, is he? Uh, no, he's, like, he's, he's literally not on board. Not at on all. board. He goes downstairs. And they have yeah. a little fight, don't they? Yeah, socks him right in the kisser. Um, yeah. <laughs> Paul's mom comes home. He goes, "What's going on here?" Because oh, like, P.S. Your son's a lunatic. Uh, and he starts leaving. Uh, he doesn't get far because Sam dives out, smashed glass like Stone Cold Steve Austin, and takes the I know, this is what I'm garden. saying about the acrobat. Yeah. Acrobatics. Comes, That's kicked in now. She comes flying out, um, basically stomps, stomps a mud hole in Tom. The mom gets involved and she like pushes her over a bike, and then the police all right. This is basically escalation to the end now. It runs... They all run off. Paul goes after her. She does a wicked jump over a car at one point. Yeah, there's lot, well, lots of cars, isn't there? But also before this, there's the bit where uh, like Paul like hits her to get because she's just like, knocked her, um, his mum over, and then she chokes Paul, but then realizes, oh, I don't want to harm Paul, and then she, her yeah. emotions kick in again, and then she runs off and goes through all the traffic and stuff. Like jumps over. She doesn't like Kirsty Swanson must have done this because she's face on when she does it. She literally like, yeah, yeah. leaps over the bonnet of a car like a proper like tucks her legs up and just like jumps over a car. Wicked. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Really good stuff. Like she's arms are flailing. It's like a little kid running off in a panic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
And then this is when in the they meet that no good bully who's been spending all this time planning his revenge. Because yeah. Paul runs into him, he's like, Oh, I see. No more no more pesky BB to save you this time, eh? And he's absolutely decking Paul, but he's doing some proper bully beating him up. He's like like punching him in the stomach and stuff and giving him a knee and um Paul's looking at Throws him in way. the trash. Yeah, throws him in the trash. He's he's really he's really giving him like a proper beating up in an alleyway, uh, and then yeah. Sam turns up. Uh, the bully's like, "Oh hey Sam, how's it go? What the fuck?" And then and then she BBs him. She picks him up and like gorilla press slams him into a police car. Yeah, definitely more wrestling moves at this point. Yeah, she's picked him up and, uh... like, full extended <laughs> arms over the head, overhead press. Yeah, <laughs> overhead. Just tosses him into the windscreen of a police car. I mean, I'm not sure what you categorise that as. Like, was it technically a car accident that killed that bully, or was it being thrown by a robot girl? But at this point as well, like after she's done that, she screams like "BB." Yeah, she point. shouts so... "BB" when she's rocking up. When when, <laughs> yeah. when the fight's going on, she that's how she announces herself, like the Roadrunner. Looks like "BB." <laughs> um. So yeah. After the guy has just said, "Oh, no BB to save you this time," and then she proper like BBs over to him and uh, yeah. throws him. The mom is in the back of the police car. The police guy's like, "Don't look!" Oh, he's hit the windscreen. That's the only place to look in a car. And this this bully's been smashed into the windscreen <laughs> and is dead. You can tell he's dead because his eyes are open. Um, yeah, they they run. Yeah. This probably leads into what you said of the small neighbourhood because they've run back to the house in no time. Yeah, she legs it, evades the police and um, just like hides in Paul's garage, isn't she, again? Um, and she's just cowering in like a dark corner and like Paul just finds her. But this is an uh, interesting moment because like she actually can speak at this point. So she can actually talk like Samantha and, and we say see... she says Paul's name, doesn't she? Yeah, and we see like the vision, BB vision goes, and it changes from pixelated robot vision to high def human vision. So I guess this is them, this is both parts of the brain, right? So yeah. she's both of them at this point, but it flips as to who she is. Um, mm. And she recognizes Paul, but the police come along. Um, they have like a standoff, and she flips between the two. And then BB mode wins out because then she starts coming out the police that are holding Paul back with the BB pincer arms hands yeah. that she does. But and... they're like they're so eager to shoot her, aren't they? Like she hasn't she's not armed or anything. They don't know she's like superhuman or robot anything, but they really want to shoot her. <laughs> they would just grab her because like if I do this with my hands, it doesn't mean they're deadly weapons now. Oh, <laughs> she's got a pair of pincers, get her. Give him the clamps. Um, yeah. But do you think she wants to get shot as well? She's thinking about it. She, she, she's like, at that point, she knows what she is. And she kind of almost like almost looks suicidal in, in her. She kind of jumps on the gun, doesn't she? Yeah, I would I would think that if it wasn't for the scene we end on at the very end. But, um, but yeah. And again, this is the moment, probably this moment in the garage. That's where I really got, like, I thought, shit, this is a film that largely is a bit of a cheesy laugh, but... I think it's really well performed when she's kind of looking at Paul and is like, you know, there's a there's a conflict there. I think it's really interesting. 
Um, mm. But yeah, she basically jumps in front of that policeman, probably scarred forever, and that he's had to shoot a girl that was running at him with pincer hands. Um, and then that's that's it. Or so we were led to believe, because... Well, that's how the movie should end, basically. Yeah. A, a tragic ending where we can all sort of sit there and look away and say, you know, what is life, really? Mm. Paul's lost... Paul's basically so many losses, it's incalculable, because he's now brought back his former best, best friend and first ever love, only to lose them again as a single entity. Um mm. But we don't end there. We end with the morgue and genuinely, especially with what we've had this, when I watched this for this recording, I was like, oh, it's that final nightmare scene that's just a nightmare. No, from the Wikipedia entry and the way the film ends, this is a thing that actually happens and is not a nightmare. What? I thought it was a nightmare sequence. I, thought I just it thought was, it was another tags-on ni- nightmare. I thought it was a nightmare sequence as well. I was convinced that it was a nightmare. Maybe maybe it is, and in another version, it's more explicitly a nightmare. But this one I watched today, like there is no indication that it's a nightmare. He doesn't sit up and it's a dream. It just is a thing that happens. And when I read the Wikipedia entry, it just says, and this happens. But yeah, basically BB, the robot BB, like breaks through the body's skin. So there's yeah. like robot robot BB underneath. Yeah, so, yeah, so how so can that not be a nightmare? Paul goes to get Paul goes to get Sam from the from the morgue, and then he goes, Oh, don't worry. And then Sam in Sam's voice, because she can speak properly, but it's got like a robotic element to it, basically says, Come with me, Paul, and then BB's face, but nasty with horrid teeth, splits out of her dead mask face. Yeah. And then her arms stuck on apart, and she's got like robot bones underneath the hand. Yeah. One, of the most, one of the most horrific scenes of the movie, like the horror centric pieces. Yeah. And then she snaps Paul's neck and kills him. Yeah. And that's it. And then it goes into the, the cre- credit song we mentioned. Earlier. The B, the BB credit song, yeah, which is just slap bass and someone occasionally saying BB, <laughs> BB, BB, <laughs> like different samples of it. <laughs> Every someone's like coded it into their synthesizers. They could do any note of BB. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. But there, there we have it. So I'm glad it wasn't just me that had an inclination that that was a dream sequence at the end because otherwise that's a completely bonkers and tonally massively shifted ending right mm. yeah well it's one of those as well where it's like if this if this is is successful let's let's bring back bb again for another <laughs> for another movie would you be it kind of has that BB one last without, scare doesn't without it? sam though would you would you no. like it if it was just a horrible angry faced bb going around not at all. But it also has the vibe of like, this is why I thought it was tagged on. So it has the vibe of like that one last scare from Nightmare on Elm Street, doesn't it? They were the funny like dragging their mum through the window kind of thing. Yeah. I, I could live with this being a dream. Um, mm. But apparently, according to the Wikipedia, it's just, yeah, that's what happens. Paul, Paul okay. doesn't learn his lesson and gets got. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. I mean, 
as is tradition, I've got a little bit of uh, the name game for you. If you prepared a couple as well, we can exchange a couple of rounds. Yeah, I've, I've got two. Let me bring up the Deadly Friend synopsis, and then I'll try and work this into. So a reminder of the synopsis was, after his, after his friend is killed by a abusive father, a new kid in town attempts to save her by implanting a robotic microchip into her brain. Um, how about I will... I'll begin then with one for you. So again, a play on the word deadly friend. One of them is easier to change to rhyme to than another. Um, after... Um, after after his friend is killed by an abusive father, the new kid in town um, tries to restore uh, his, his friend to life just by putting her in some really, really fashionable clothes. Uh, dangerous results. Deadly, deadly trend? Deadly trend, correct. <laughs> okay. Well... Right. Okay, I've got one then. So, after his friend is killed by after his friend is killed by abusive father, the new kid in town attempts to save her life by implanting a robot chip in her brain. But the chip is damaged, and all that she can do now is perform highlights of songs. Fortunately, that has become very popular. So they attempt to start a career in the music business. Oh, now I only do highlights of songs. Like a highlight a... reel, a highlight reel of, a, of of hits when they perform. It's going to be a normal human word that I know, but now why am I blanking on it? Come on, it's a highlight reel of hits. Not like a deadly blend, or <laughs> that'd be like a coffee. No, what is it? I give up. <laughs> medley trend. Oh, medley trend. Of course, that's a word. <laughs> Medley trend, very good. There's not much that rhymes with medley if you want to use like multiple, you know, the same syllables. Like, yeah, well, you know, I sometimes find that using real actual words that make grammatic sense and in the dictionary are overrated. Hence, why I have this next one for you. <laughs> um, after his friend is killed by a abusive father, the new kid in town, a genius baker, does his best to repair his friend using some of his uh some of his uh baked products tries to repair her with it using yeast and water and flour um i'm not sure <laughs> what he tries to perform ed is a breadly yeah. mend <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> this one's a okay. hard one to rhyme. Sometimes we have the gift of lots of things to rhyme. This is not one of those weeks. Okay, so after his friend is killed by her abusive father, the new kid in town attempts to save her by implanting a robot chip in her brain. But times are tough. There's a, re there's a recession. And one big purchase on electronic parts he needs might just leave him penniless. Oh, is it a deadly spend? Yes. Um, That's all I've got. <laughs> I'll give you uh, one more. And that one is um, after his 
after his friend is killed by her abusive father, the new kid in town is on the way to um, to rescue her, actually, and to get a body and refix it using a robot chip that he has in the brain. But he has to drive especially carefully because it's an incredibly dangerous bit of the road. And if you take that corner a bit too, bit too sharp, you're going to come off and hurt yourself. Deadly bend. Deadly bend. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> There we go. All that remains for us to do um, is to rate the movie. You're a guest slash co-host in Ben Abs- Ben's absence, Ed. You can go first if mm. you'd like. Okay, so I actually do think this is it's an entertaining movie, uh, but it is a bad movie. There's lots of like ropey stuff going on in the movie. Um, but I think the more times you watch it, the more you appreciate it with like a lot of bad movies. Um, so, and even when I'm talking, like sometimes when you talk about it, you start to love it more. Like you were going to go in with like a low rating. You talk about it. Actually, there's loads I really like here. This is me almost um, every week. I come in and I think my, depending on how the conversation has gone and what the other person is or people have said on the episode, I feel I probably go up or down by a rating most weeks yeah it's like when i look at the you know critic scores and stuff like that and um it it's it's got low ratings i don't disagree the fact that it's got low ratings i don't think it's a great movie but it is entertaining uh so i think uh i give it about a c c that's a fair that's a fair rating Mm. i am gonna go again i recognize the same things you did objectively speaking it's a bad movie. It's not a great Wes Craven mm. horror movie. Mm. It's um, got some ropey things about it, as you say. Um, mm. That robot that cost 20 grand. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you could probably... In 80s money. Yeah, in 80s money, you could probably make... I feel like school kids probably in modern schools would be able to make something that looked like that. Maybe not work like BB. Maybe not have the hydraulic mm. arms to crush a man's testicles, but... Um, yeah, it's it's dated in some of those ways, and the you can see also those pieces where the studio basically went back and said, "No, come on, Wes, you you make gory horror films. Can you add some of this in for us?" Um, yeah, that wasn't what he intended to do, and I think that comes at the expense of, um, you know, because you know, for better or worse, these guys make a film stick to the that ninety minute mark. And as a result, you probably lose some of the character dynamics and character discussions that would have made some of the other bits make more sense. Yeah. But I really enjoy this movie. I love uh, a killer robot movie and genuinely promise, definitely, sincerely not taking the mick. I think Kirsty Swanson is actually good at portraying a confused, undead robot girl here. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I can't name someone who does a better job at it. I will wait. There is you won't get one. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give this a C plus because I really like I, ah. I I really like this this movie. I think it's it's a lot of fun, and mm. I would argue it's probably a little bit overlooked for the movies of Wes Craven. I think that your normies out there talk about a Wes Craven movie, they'll pull a Nightmare on Elm Street, they'll possibly even pull a People Under the Stairs, they'll definitely pull a Scream. Will they have heard of Deadly Friend? No. Should they have? Maybe. 
Just maybe. Yeah, because it, it hasn't got a big enough cult following because it hasn't had one of those sort of re-releases yet where oh, let's do a nice re-release in the UK of it, like all, all loads of special features and stuff like that. I've not seen anything like that. This movie. That's why I had to get a Spanish Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, you, you possibly bootleg Spanish version. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm all up for this. And actually, one of the reasons I spoke about putting it on the agenda for when we have nice pairing with Megan. Imagine if they ever teamed up, Megan and BB. Fantastic! I want to see that movie. <laughs> my goodness, I mean, I've been saying it since Megan last week. I'm telling future generations that that was Terminator Three. That's the, that's the third Terminator movie we've all deserved all these years. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, there we. There we go. Thanks for joining us again, everybody. We are supported greatly in doing what we do every week. Thanks to the support of our our patrons over at Patreon. You can find that um, if you want to give us a little bit of support there. Keep the lights on over here or off as it's a horror podcast. Um, go get yourself over to patreon.com forward slash horror hangout and you will join great lists i always read them backwards compared to ben because that's how the list appears for me it's troy nick spill julia belligri uh leslie carlo ollie child lane spencer toby miller laura kendrick stephen christopher ben scaife john crinan patron against his will and just because we always finish with it pazuzu himself thank you everybody for supporting the show you can interact with us over on pretty much any uh, of your social channels you would like so um you can thank um you can find us over here on facebook on twitter even on tiktok and instagram you'll find us at horror hangout podcast hang on i scroll down ed stop the presses before i go any further got a new patron not going to re-record that bit but i am going to thank rosalind harriness <laughs> Harnies, sorry, Rosalind Harnies. Thank you very much for being a new Patreon supporter. Join people like Rosalind where you, wherever, wherever you would like to. It does help us continue to bring out content and put out more extra business that we're all putting together as well. Um, we appreciate each and every one of you. Find us at all of those other places. Then we've got February coming up, a whole new month. We've got new releases. We've got Knock at the Cabin. We've got infinity pool maybe in this country but um we'll confirm the rest of the horror hangout lineup for february possibly some classics and some more guests coming up as well we'll confirm that for you next week before we sign off though ed where else can people find you and your new projects well you can mostly find me uh, at harvey underscore retro on most social media platforms i'm most active on tiktok and instagram uh, but on as far as YouTube goes, it's Enigmatic Retro Rewind, and that's the mine and Johan's YouTube channel, and we do a lot of videos together on that. But all a lot of the short stuff goes onto YouTube as well now, because YouTube Shorts is a thing now as well. So uh, they're jumping on the TikTok bandwagon, and it's all like short on YouTube now as well. It's a mix between shorts and long videos on there. So I'm trying to get on that bandwagon and do like lots of little videos now, like regularly, and then. A big video is like a special, you know, every few weeks. Well, I'm not just saying it because so, yeah. you're here, Ed. I watch a lot of the stuff you guys put out. Always great stuff. Great aesthetic for me. We've talked about an 80s movie today. So love it when you look back at the classic stuff. And it's 
it's everything, right? It's movies of all genres. You have a, you know, you have an enjoyment of old classic video games for the time as well. So um, it's always great to let content, a lovely comforting dose of retro content, good movies, bad yeah. movies, cult movies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's heavily 80s and 90s nostalgia, mainly. That's the main focus. Uh, it's, it's mostly movies. We occasionally do games. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nostalgia-based and, and cult-heavy. So there's a lot of cult movie stuff. But yeah. All fantastic stuff. So take all those links. Uh, I say we, but I mean Ben. We'll put those in the show notes so you can find those if you would like to. In the meantime, the only thing that is left for me to say to you, Ed, is thank you for joining me and thank you for being a right horror dude. Thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Right. I'll see you again sometime soon, I hope. See you again soon. And for everyone else out there, thank you for being right horror dudes as well. If you see Ben in your travels, do tell him to come back safely and have a lovely trip on his holiday. Um, to be fair, I don't know how to upload these things, so... By the time you're listening to this, Ben's probably back. But, you know, <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there. Okay, everybody. Bye for now. See you next week for more February-based action. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.